Triangle Squared, now with 100% more Xbox. Well, hello and welcome all to Triangle Square, the PlayStation podcast. I'm your host, Brett Beck, and alongside me this week is not only the usual man, Mr. Chris Figs. Chris, how are you? Hello, I'm good. How are you? I'm doing all right, man. Back from vacation, sunburns and beaches and, you know, more <sighs> wow. Texas as oh, you just narrowly escaped. <laughs> like two, two, ships in the, two ships in the night just passing. Yeah, I, I'd like to think that if you would have stayed in uh, Texas for an extra week, that the the pure Texas American freedom soil would have just started to grow around your foot, and you would have been stuck there. I don't know, man. I might have evaporated into a ball of nothing if I was stuck in Texas another week. I hey, you know what? It's so damn humid this week. Uh, you may have swollen <laughs> into some big sweat ball. It's hard yeah, to say, I, I but don't, we were also to get more swollen. <laughs> yeah. yeah, me either, man. This summer has been a little rough on me. Yeah. We are also joined, uh, you know, we've been doing this podcast a long time, 310 episodes um, as of this week. And one thing I've always wanted to do is actually get someone from <laughs> the joke I keep making is kind of across the console aisle. Uh, <laughs> but I've always wanted to kind of get somebody in who is more of an Xbox fan and kind of bounce, you know, the perspectives of what's going on around them. And I think there's no better time to do that than right now, considering these showcases have really put a foot forward for what the future of PlayStation looks like in the, you know, not so distant future and the future of Xbox is looking at. So today we are joined by Luke Lore, the insipid ghost. Hey, guys, how are you? You know what, man? We're doing OK. Luke, if you would like to take a second, please plug yourself for all these wonderful people who don't know where you are, you know, what, what you do and what you're up to. Absolutely. Uh, so my name is Luke Lore. Uh, I host a podcast called the Xbox Expansion Pass uh, that discusses all the goings on in the gaming verse as it pertains to the Xbox ecosystem. Uh, very much a rising tides lift all boats type of place. So uh, a lot of love to our PlayStation brethren. Uh, one of my favorite frenemies is Joseph Moran, host of the Trophy Room. Uh, <laughs> so I regularly uh, enjoy PlayStation and such. Um, but XCP is... is uh, 180 episodes uh, strong, as well as focusing on developer interviews from around the gaming industry. Over 100 developer interviews uh, from across the gaming industry. Uh, bigger titles like Sea of Thieves and Hi-Fi Rush uh, to smaller indie titles that have made their way uh, onto a number of different consoles. You know, something as obscure as Dead Cells or uh, Planet of Lana is going up live tomorrow at the time of this recording. Uh, nice. I just really enjoy discussing and talking uh, about how games are made with the people that make them. And so uh, that's XEP in a nutshell, and we love for people to check us out and uh, enjoy us on their podcast feeds as they like. It's awesome to hear that you were able to speak with uh, Twin Motion, I assume, or someone from within Twin mm -hmm. Motion. Dead Cells is an incredible game. Yeah. So that's awesome. A, a developer I've always wanted to talk to for a litany of reasons um, is White Rabbit, who are the developer behind Death's Gambit. Mm-hmm. And I find not only is Death Gambit an incredible game and a really great uh, kind of boiling down of what makes the Souls-like genre so fun into a 2D platform in mm -hmm. a way that I don't feel like Salt and Sanctuary really excelled at. Mm -hmm. um, but they also made it in a program I have experience with, which is Game Maker. Mm -hmm. And I remember when I was in high school, I would, I would make my own little Zelda likes and things within Game Maker. And I just find it such an interesting 
uh, you know, development thing to look at and go, okay, people are still making games like that, much like you see with the Hotline Miami was made in that as well. Mm-hmm. So that's quite cool. I like seeing developer interviews. I've always wanted to do one, but I've never put the foot out there. So it's good to see that other people are picking up that uh, that torch and going along with it. But Luke, we're going to try and keep a somewhat tighter episode today. I think it'll be easy to do because really most of the news in the gaming world right now is clearly about all the showcases that have just come out. Mm-hmm. So what we'll do eventually as we get into the episode is we'll talk about a little bit of the stuff going on, like uh, some delays that have hit this week, PlayStation Plus's offerings. And while you're here, I want to get your opinion on PlayStation Plus versus Game Pass from not necessarily a arguing against the two standpoint, but where each exceeds uh, or excels and beats out the other. But we always start to show off in a pretty time-honored tradition here where we're just checking in on what we've been playing, let the listeners see if there's any new games that they've maybe not been you know introduced to or if there's anything that's new that we're playing that we think they should check out mm-hmm. so with you being our guest i will defer to you first luke what have you been playing man oh uh right now the conversation is all diablo uh so much diablo has been played i am not a diablo fan i think we we're talking prior to recording uh i'm not a diablo fan of old I did not. I, I played through three, but I really didn't pay attention to it. It wasn't really my jam. Uh, and gotta tell you, I am absolutely loving, loving, loving Diablo Four. Um, I on XEP Logan reviewed Diablo Four, and I reviewed Street Fighter Six. And Street Fighter Six, amazing title, absolutely mm-hmm. love it. I put down Street Fighter just to keep playing Diablo, and so. Uh, you know, on World Tier Four now, I think I'm over a hundred hours in. Love crossplay, uh, just just love crossplay. So I'm enjoying that. Um, and then I've also been playing uh, Planet of Lana, which is uh, an Xbox exclusive indie. Because I did an interview with that developer, and I wanted to be informed when I went into the interview. Uh, so I played a good bit of that as well. Um, so those have been kind of like on my my rotation. Uh, I've got Crime Boss, Rocky City sitting on my console to play through. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and then just poking around some indie titles. But Game Pass is treating us very well this month. Uh, and I'm looking forward to kind of diving into some of the games that are coming to that as well. Um, but really is spoiled for riches in 2023 from start to finish. So mm. hard not to be playing some of the best games around. You know, you mentioned crossplay in Diablo, and I can go ahead and get it out of the way that I've been playing a bunch of Diablo 4 as well. Mm-hmm. Once I came back from vacation, uh, you know, you mentioned playing through Diablo 3 and how you're not a Diablo fan yet. Mm-hmm. You're making your way there. Sure. I like to consider Diablo a time and place game. Mm-hmm. And I think you've always been a Diablo fan, and ah. you were just waiting for the right time to hit. You know? Fair. But Fair. something about crossplay that I find, and it's it's been a thing that I've been curious about since crossplay really started gaining traction last <laughs> gen and that is always the communication barrier that comes into play there and mm-hmm. how that is just somewhat problematic when you're trying to bring people from a litany of different consoles together mm-hmm. and how you allow them an easy accessible way to communicate uh, and my buddy has been playing on pc because he's always considered diablo a pc game as it's long been and so we're forced to forsake party chats conveniences and whatnot on playstation in order to use the actual chat feature within diablo which has been mostly strong but it comes with a bunch of problems um that 
like, you know, how do you duck the audio sure. so that you can hear the people? Do you feel like with crossplay being a thing, are you leaning on having to do that since you're playing with like Joe and whatnot? I'm assuming they're playing on PlayStation and you're mm-hmm. probably playing on Xbox. Yep. Yeah. Uh, we have found, uh, especially in recent months, because he and I have been gaming together since pandemic. Um, mm. But we've found of late that Discord is the way to go. Uh, because both console makers now allow you to, to access Discord on your console. So mm-hmm. that was very, uh, very simple to do once Xbox... It's literally on Xbox, as easy as it would be to open an Xbox party, you can just join a Discord channel. Um, and so we have what we call, <laughs> call it cross-console chat, and our buddies <laughs> that, that, that game with us, we join that and, um, you know... Joe's on his PlayStation. A number of people are on their PCs or Xboxes, and it's uh, near flawless. Near flawless. Oftentimes, my my co-host Logan he plays on PC, um, mm. and we've had very little issues. I was not a fan of Discord for a long time, and as Twitter began to kind of uh, lose its relevancy w- with Elon Musk's uh, changing of, of different policies and such. Um, I found that in order to keep the community for XCP alive, I needed to, to create Discord. So I learned it. I'm learning it. Um, I'm fortunate to have the good people there. And the versatility that it gives for cross-console chat, as well as building a community, and in two separate places with the same feature, I, I really appreciate it. Yeah. Discord has long been my answer as well. And, you know, there's, as with all social media platforms, there's a host of ups and downs that you have to look to within them. Uh, And I've been wanting to do that too. And the only reason I haven't is because (laughs) the person I'm playing with uh, primarily doesn't Mm -hmm. want to have to download Discord, which Mm -hmm. is completely reasonable. Sure. Uh, It's, it's no matter where you go, there's always some step that you have to go into. But I've been really glad to see them start going into Discord. I remember when Xbox announced it and I thought that was really cool. And then when PlayStation finally came up and said, you know, we're heavily investing too. Mm-hmm. I've long wanted it to be that basically PlayStation and Xbox more or less dump their own services in favor of just having Discord there. Mm-hmm. But for the fact that that forces people into having to have a Discord account, it's probably right. not the right solution. It's just when you think about gaming with people across different platforms, it really is a solution. So it, interesting to hear. I'm glad that you're not having too many issues out of it. But Chris. Yes. It's your time to shine, man. What have you been playing? Because there's one game in particular that I had to take note and message you and say, The Witcher 3, eh? <laughs> again? <laughs> yeah, so, I'm trying it again. Are you punishing yourself? Are you enjoying it? I mean, what's going on here? Is this like masochism? Uh, it was weird because I'm enjoying it, but I'm definitely punishing myself. It's kind of <laughs> one of those two things where I'm playing it on Death March mode. Mm-hmm. That is masochism. Yeah, it's very hard. <laughs> Yep, I'm in the I'm at the Bloody Baron quest, oh, and yeah. I've done the part with the wraiths mm-hmm. thirty times, and I just can't do it. Ooh. I don't have, but I'm bad at the Witcher. I don't like to prepare, so I all I have is the little magic trap, and I have no oils. <laughs> I've got nothing else. I'm like we're just going in, we're doing it raw. It's not been going well. It's been pretty brutal, actually. <laughs> Yeah, it's unfortunate. I'm I'm glad you're liking it more. I mean, what is this, like fifth time's the charm? Around there, yeah, I think so. Yeah, so do you think you'll... uh, Let me ask you this. Do you think that if you find that you don't like it this time, 
mm-hmm. but you find that the reason that you weren't able to continue exploring it was Death March. Do you feel like it's fair of you to say that you don't like the game or more that you played it in such a way that hindered your experience? Like, where do you think you'll fall on that should you actually drop off of it again? I see your point, and I don't necessarily disagree, but I would say that if playthrough five doesn't work, <laughs> I don't think it's Death March's fault. <laughs> and honestly, the challenge of Death March is my, Death March might be what's keeping me in this time. Because every time mm. I get through a combat encounter, it's like Dark Souls. And I know it's yeah. not like a one-to-one comparison, but it, I get I get the same feeling as like when I took down Cleric Beast for the first time, being mm-hmm. the first Dark Souls boss I ever beat, and nearly pissed my pants in a party chat with my friends. Like it was kind of like that when I got through like five ghouls. <laughs> so yeah. I've been having having fun with it. <laughs> All right. Well, what else have you been uh, getting back around to? There's <clears> another <throat> new favorite I see on here. There's a, the Witcher Three will soon join. Oh, uh, are we talking about Red Dead Two that I started again? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Red Dead Two that you started again. I like that I decided to do this what a day before Final Fantasy Sixteen. Terrible timing. You have made some choices. I yep, <laughs> it's a fact. Um, honestly, I don't know how much Fred that I'm going to play, but I've always wanted to go back and finish the platinum. And me and my new boss were talking about how he has the platinum and read that too. And I was like, well, okay, now I feel like I have to do this. It's like peer <sighs> pressure by complete. He does not even a trophy on it. He's just like, I just did all of it. I'm like that's super weird and super crazy. Um, now I have to. Yeah. Do it. <laughs> it's like my friend who has all of the Madden Platinums because he just plays the hell out of Madden every year. Yeah. Doesn't care for trophies at all. Didn't even try to get it. Just one day he was playing. It was like, oh, a trophy popped. <laughs> yeah, it was funny because I was I went to talk to him about trophies. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm a big trophy hunter. And I'm like, I, um, I looked at him and I'm like, so how many do you have? And he's like, oh, like three. And I went, okay. <laughs> just kept it moving. I was like, I'm, I have 120. I didn't feel like going that far into it, so. But it was nice. Um, so yeah, Red Dead. I still love Red Dead. Um, we'll see what if I end up actually. Well, going Luke, it, just for some context, this man hated uh, Red Dead mm-hmm. for three years, mm-hmm. and yeah. then randomly decided to play it again, and it became his, you know, like greatest of all time. It's almost. a top five game. Yeah, Interesting. <laughs> I I one K'd uh, the first Red Dead, so that's you yeah. know our Xbox's equivalent of, of a platinum. I one K'd the first Red Dead, loved it. Red Dead 2 put me to sleep. I was done very quickly. No Dude. interest whatsoever. And I hate that. I hate when everybody's loving a game. And I'm sure this has happened to you guys at some point somewhere. Um, mm-hmm. But when everyone's loving a game and you just can't click with it, I hate that feeling. Man, there is so much in common with Red Dead 2 and Days Gone and the fact that their opening uh. hours are so slow. They're painfully slow. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, do something. This is like, what is the purpose of this? And then the games turn incredible, in my opinion. I mean, I'm not going to say that Days Gone is as good as Red Dead 2. I'm not going to say it's not. They're both great Days games Gone in different ways. Stand down. <laughs> <laughs> but point being is that... It, you know, the, the the hard conversation to have with somebody is when you've recommended either of those games to them. And there are a litany of other games that you can put on this list. But where I, we were talking about it uh, the other day when we were playing Diablo about Persona 5 and how there's a version of Persona 5 that if someone quit within, you'd be like, I kind of see how that happened. Mm-hmm. 
Mm. But you're like, you, but you feel bad for them being like, I hate this game and it sucks and it's not doing anything. But you're like, but keep playing Just a little longer, a little longer. <laughs> it never sucks. Anyway, I, I, I can't speak on Persona 5. <laughs> that was more just a, a strong point of, of reference. I know but all right, Chris, um, I, I'll, I'll trigger you a little bit more. I'll, I'll yeah. say Persona 5 sucks. I'm kidding. I've never played it. Continue. Uh, um, yeah, no, there's not a ton more. I played um, a decent amount of the 16 demo, uh, Final Fantasy 16. It's mm-hmm. really good. It's great. Um, I did play, I've been playing a little bit of Street Fighter 6 on the side. I love that game. I went into my feelings on it more last week. Still feel the same way. I'm still playing Jody despite how I feel about it, so it's fine. Um, and Do you just, still feel that the game is incredibly horny? I mean, is that where we are? It, yes, it is incredibly horny. I think that's just a fact. I, that's how right, I well, feel about the game, but it's totally cool. Luke's been playing Street Fighter Six. Let's get a let's get an altering opinion on here. I've not played it yet. Chris, uh, let's see. Chris states. That Street Fighter Six and Diablo Four, for that matter, are both incredibly horny games. Where do you land on this scale? Uh, yep, hard to argue. <laughs> hard to argue. Um, hard to argue either one. Uh, mm. I mean, when you look at Diablo, I mean Lilith alone, uh, specific like mommy, uh, and then yep. uh, Street Fighter. I mean, that, that's always a horny game. Like that's just the way that they they do their art style. Um, <laughs> I mean, yep. thick thighs for for years and decades now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know how explicit you guys go, but there's something clapping in that. Feel free, <laughs> feel free. You have I played total a lot rain. of Cammy for one reason because uh, <laughs> I'm not good with her. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> um, All right, you've played a healthy dose of Marvel Snap. It would seem so much Marvel Snap. I am my highest rating of all time, though. Uh, it's, it's going well. Still can't beat my girlfriend, which is a common theme now when I talk about Marvel Snap. But she's she's complaining to me today. She's like, I can't win anymore, and I'm not very good, and I don't have the cards. I'm like, darling, honey, calm down, because you're a top-ranked player, higher than I've ever been, and you're about 2,000 collection levels lower than me. So, Which, for context, every, f- every four times you get... F- Every 16 times you go up a collection level, you get a card. So that's how many more cards I have than her. And she's so much <laughs> higher than me. And she's like, oh, I can't do it. I'm like, oh, you're killing me, but I got to be supportive. Just keep playing. You'll get Look, there. What you got to tell her is that she doesn't realize that she's like the Goodwill hunting Matt Damon of Marvel Snap. Yeah. Like she came out of nowhere, has been playing <laughs> for like a couple months and has just like destroyed your year long escapade into the game you know last season i stopped talking to her about it as much because i wasn't winning and i went down to like the 20s in rank which is it's bad that's like bronze and league or whatever you're talking about (laughs) so i was like we're just not discussing it this month but ghost spider came out and it's all been really cool so like marvel snap Oh, man. Well, my games, of course, I've already mentioned Diablo 4. I beat Star Wars Jedi Survivor um, on my birthday. Decided to do that. Happy birthday. And I'm conflicted. I think that there's a lot of great in that game, and there's also a lot of the way it's presented. I I think that the story, without the extra context that the post-credits, you can find these echoes that help flesh out Uh, some of the antagonist motivations. But I find that the game itself, if you were to stop right there, it all seems nonsensical. 
and it just it, and it, there's a lot of stuff going on within it that without spoiling i don't want to get into but <clears throat> problems of a lot of modern star wars within it and i but it's weird but at the end of the day i've gone back for my platinum run after vacation i've decided i'm going to go back to trying to platinum it or i did uh go back to try and platinum it and I've been having a great time with just the gameplay. I find the traversal is so much better than the first game was. They don't rely on those slide sections nearly mm-hmm. as much. They're hardly in the game at all. Uh, a lot of the puzzles are very compelling. And unlike God of War Ragnarok, where as soon as you see a puzzle, the NPC is trying to tell you the solution, I'm glad that this game just kind of lets you soak in the puzzle for a bit mm-hmm. and really see if you're going to need help. <laughs> like the game never actually has an, an NPC say anything, but a prompt will come on screen that says, do you want a hint? If you've mm-hmm. been there for like three plus minutes without doing anything, mm-hmm. uh, which is cool. I like that. Uh, but then the list of problems I have with the game just on its actual ability to work has been fighting me every step of the way. Really? I've had multiple crashes with lost progression because of the way that it uses the meditation points. Um, I have had multitudes of problems where it would just freeze on loading. Like I would, I would go to load into one of like the, um, I can't remember what they're called right now, but like the force tears, I guess is what they are. And it, it, going into it, it would go to load and it would just freeze. Okay. I think this is where I'm supposed to jump in and say, oh, that PlayStation, it just can't handle it. Um, <laughs> but I encountered similar problems prior to the week two patch. And mm-hmm. since then, it, it was a very smooth experience. Are you, um, uh, are you performance or did you go quality? Uh, initially, you had to go quality in order to play the game proper. Uh, and then after <laughs> that, that week two patch... Uh, Performance is the way I, I tend to live my life. I much prefer frames than fidelity, um, yeah, which on the Xbox side of things has been all the rage of discussion uh, given Starfield's 30 frames per second. Uh, bit. Mm-hmm. But if given the opportunity, I choose frames uh, all the time. I, I prefer a smoother experience. Um, but as long as anything is locked, I'm never upset. I know there are some people who like to count pixels and such. I'm not that guy. I just want it to be smooth. And once they patched it in, and it worked well uh, on my side of stuff. I didn't have any issues post patch. Um, I really enjoyed the combat a lot more than I did Fallen Order. It's um, so much better. It, yeah. There's a, so much variation. The blaster edition is incredible. I really mm-hmm. like the. And you know, I'm not a huge fan of the cross guard in terms of actual like the. I remember when they showed it off in the movies. I was like, I don't know how I feel about this, but the stance in game is incredible. Mm-hmm. It's it's my favorite stance to, by far. Mm-hmm. I uh, I found that the primary antagonist uh, for Survivor was very uh, lackluster and very mm. predictable, and I, mm. I was let down very much by the story of Survivor uh, as it pertained to the primary antagonist. But Cal Kestis is a wonderful character, and a lot of the smaller plots around he around is. his story were great. Um, there's there's the difficulty of what you know when you want to nestle in a Jedi story amidst the Skywalker saga, it's hard to do in certain time slots, right? Because you it are is. the premise is Luke is the last Jedi, and he's not. Um, but he is the last Jedi fighting on the front lines, and I think they're pivoting a bit um, and, and allowing gray Jedi to exist and people that use force powers and lightsabers that are not Jedi, uh, a la Ahsoka and such. 
to in a comfortable way. And so it's interesting to watch Cal's journey. Um, it also feels like Survivor is very much the midway point of a story, and maybe that's it why we were disappointed. Does. Um, mm-hmm. But if they can nail the landing, a lot of times a movie or a part of a story gets better once you get its finale or its sequel and then going back to it is much more enjoyable. I mm. wonder if we won't have that impression of Survivor once we have, you know, Jedi finale or whatever it is. I really hope so because, you know, it's actually kind of, Chris and I were talking about the new Spider-Verse movie and I think it's incredible in and of its own right. But one of my coworkers that I was talking about with it said, do you think it's better than the first movie? And I said, that's just, it's it's a hard question because it, it clearly is a middle point and that's mm-hmm. what the point of the movie is. And there's a finale that is a second part of this story that has to happen. So you think about that with like Dune part two coming up. And I, I do feel like that's in this game and where they're going with Cal. And for all of my complaints about the primary antagonist, the one thing I will say is I think Cal's interaction within all of that, regardless of that side, is all really good. And I like what they use it to explore within Cal as a character. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of good mixed in with some of the things that I wish had been handled differently. Uh, one being the fact that about three quarters of the way through, the far more compelling person is uh, <laughs> done away with. I will I will yeah. leave it at that. But it's there's a lot to ruminate on with that game and there's a lot of really great moments so my final frustration with it has come today and i got bitten ass by automatic update i was playing last night working through my you know all the upgrades and stuff that i'm still doing go to sleep when i get home at lunch i turn the system on the game turned off it said it had uh, it had updated in sleep mode i thought oh, okay cool maybe it'll be better i looked at the list hey look the bounty problem that most people have been having is supposed to be fixed cool i get into the game and i cannot use my hollow map no matter what i do i can't open it i can't go into my menu and go to a bounty and track the bounty and open it on the hollow map it just doesn't work um i tweeted at the developer and thankfully i got a tweet from someone else who seems to have proposed a fix so Mm -hmm. if you're dealing with that problem Try and access the hollow tactics table, then back out of it, and the glitch should be fixed. We will see if that actually works or not after this show. But I have been dealing with a thing where I didn't start that game until about um, a month and a half after it released because I had a bunch of other stuff going. I didn't buy it day one. So I was like, oh, I'm not worried about it. And so I started it after patch five released because I was like, I'm going to wait. I've heard some issues. I'm going to wait till patch five hits. Uh, or I was about to. And then I started the day before because I was like, I don't know what else to do. And patch five gave me more problems than patch four <laughs> did that I started on. And now patch six has once again given me new problems. So it does kind of feel like a game with every update is breaking it further for me in particular. And that's really mm-hmm. unfortunate. It's just taking the wind out of my cells consistently when I try yeah. to enjoy the experience. What a bummer. Because it sounds like you're mm-hmm. in the minority you know, of the masses, but when you have yeah, that and great I, I experience. I hope I am. Yeah. I really hope I am. I feel like I have to be because I think if everyone was experiencing what I've experienced, the pushback would be a lot greater. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's unfortunate nonetheless. Yeah. My last game is one because I was on uh, vacation. I never leave for vacation without my trusty Vita. And I decided to try Borderlands 2 again. And Chris, I, I decided to take inspiration from you. Oh, I thought, God. you know how many times I've tried playing Borderlands 2 and I fall off in like the first hour? Uh, I did it in VR 
fell off in the first hour when they had the VR <laughs> version of it. I did it uh, on PS3. I did it with the Handsome Jack collection that they put out. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to see what it's like on Vita. I can, you know, my Vita's uh, modded. So I overclocked, uh, lowered the internal resolution of the game a little bit to help. And it runs at a pretty stable 30 to 40 frames per second. And I'm having a lot more fun with it. And I don't know why. <laughs> it's hard to describe, but it's nice to be enjoying a game that so many people love because I have a weird history with Borderlands. I played Borderlands 1 and beat it and loved it. Borderlands 2 fell off. Borderlands 3 fell off about halfway through it. And then Chris and I tried doing Tiny Tina's um, and I, we fell off of it hard. Yeah. Some of that is because Chris and I have wildly different schedules, uh, or at least did. I think that that's coming to an end to some degree. But Thank it's been God. interesting, nonetheless, uh, to kind of do that. So happy to say that as long as you can mod the Vita and not run it the way that Sony intended, it runs great. <laughs> so, Brett, do you feel that if you end up not liking Borderlands this time, it's because mm-hmm. you chose the play worst possible version you could play <laughs> of Borderlands 2? You know what I love about the irony of it is that I've gotten further and have enjoyed it more on ostensibly the worst version of the game. Gosh. Part of me is wondering, is it time and place? Is it because I was on vacation and I didn't have anything else to play? Like, I could have played anything else on Vita, but like I wasn't pulled to be like, I'm going to go play Diablo. Like, I couldn't. So I wonder if that's it. Look, But I'll I'll let you know. All evidence given the history of our podcasting journey together is that gaming is very much time and place because there are a lot of games I hated that are in my mm-hmm. top five of all time now. So, Well, even going back to Saul, you know, when Saul was on here, shout out to my boy, um, you know, back in the early days of Triangle Squared, he fell off of Nier Automata multiple times. Oh. And then he randomly came back to it. And I remember when he did, it was like a year and a half after it came out. And he was like, this is one of the greatest games I've ever played. And it's so crazy that that switch can happen with any game. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like you went from talking about all the things you hated about Red Dead 2 to I never hear you down talking anymore. It's like you played it and you've become a believer. You know, yeah, it's, it's perfect. In almost every way. <laughs> All right. Well, let's go ahead and move on into we're gonna we're gonna switch up the the flow of the show. So normally by now we'd go into the community's take where we ask you guys a question in the previous episode and give you guys a chance to open our mind to a different perspective, see something in a different way, maybe push back against something that we've said, or just answer a question uh, that we give. But because the community's take this week was so around the showcase and i think a lot of this episode uh when we get into the real meat of it is going to be around the showcases and what it means for gaming as a whole what it means for uh system specific pathways within that but we're going to go ahead and bump into the news so real quick reminder before we do that if you're listening to the show on any podcast service that allows you to rate and or review please consider doing so lets us know what you enjoy about the show or if there's any suggestions that you have uh and as well it lets other people know if we are worth their time so with that in mind i'm gonna go ahead and hop into the first piece of news here a lot of this is just going to be kind of quick stuff though i have one little pit stop within it uh, and that's going to be on this first one so Sony have revealed June's PS Plus Extra and Premium Tier Editions with big hitters like Ubisoft's Far Cry 6 and Indie Darling Inscription leading the pack, alongside smaller titles like Action Game Solstice, TMNT, Shredder's Revenge, The Talos Principle, and capping it off with Rogue Legacy 2's PlayStation debut being day and date on the service. Uh, There are more games, of course, but those are some of the notable ones. Premium subscribers get a handful of new classics to enjoy by way of Guerrilla Games' PSP debut of Killzone Liberation, which Chris has also been... He started at the very least. With trophies. 
Yes. With trophies. Fantastic. Uh, Worms, Herc's Adventure, uh, Herc's Adventures, and a previously Japanese-only PSP release in Coded Soul, a game I've never heard of until now. All these games are available starting today. But where I want to take a slight detour with this um, is I think that this is a pretty impressive month. But, you know, this is going into looking at what PS Plus has been thus far. I want to take the opportunity while we have somebody who's more Xbox focused. And of course, mm-hmm. I think it's fair to say Chris and I both have Xboxes or PCs that we can play Xbox titles on. Both I have both of those, and I think Chris does too. Um, so we use Game Pass, but I think that having someone who's a more daily user of Game Pass mm-hmm. to kind of bounce off of PS Plus is going to be interesting. So Luke, with PlayStation's head of subscriptions uh, recently stating their eagerness to keep PS Plus thriving, uh, adding, quote, it's about finding how we add new features that players want, new games that people are asking us for that we don't have, other benefits that they are asking for, how do we keep the service relevant, make it more valuable, and bring more people in, end quote. So, I guess my question with that is, how do you feel, being someone who does play PlayStation sometimes, how do you feel the optics of PS Plus feel compared to the optics of Game Pass to prospective customers who maybe not be in either of those sides yet, but are looking at it? Do you feel like one immediately excels past the other, or do you feel like there is benefits and cons of each one? Um, that question would have been easier to answer a year ago uh, mm. because PlayStation Plus was pretty lackluster by comparison to Game Pass. And uh, I think they saw the benefits and heard the benefits of it uh, from the developer side of things. In, in my role, I'm fortunate to interview a lot of uh, you know developers who put games onto Game Pass. Um, and literally from the list of PlayStation games like Solstice and Shredder's Revenge, interviewed both of those devs. Um which is really cool and many of the smaller teams really appreciate game pass because it brings them an immediate audience and a guaranteed paycheck and that's huge if you're a small team small developer small studio to have guaranteed income Uh, and then the possibility for incentive if you cross x amount of downloads or x amount of engagement or what what have you um playstation has done a lot of really good work to bring playstation plus uh, up to par, in my opinion. Um, one of the best things that PlayStation Plus had going for it uh, was the Instant Game Collection. They had it on the Vita. They had a variation, a version of it on PS5 when you purchase your PS5. Um, I really appreciated that like, you could buy PlayStation Plus and immediately have games to play. That's the benefit of, of any of these subscription services because if you go and buy your box for four or $500, and you don't have something to play that's a problem. Mm-hmm. Next to the realization that during the Xbox One and PlayStation 4 generations, people built their digital libraries. So uh, I'm, I'm long-winded, and I apologize for that. But I mean to say is PlayStation Plus needed to adapt because PlayStation has been winning in category after category and then taking sig- significant L's in this one area, uh, which was subscription services. Because Game Pass is even still unrivaled in what it brings customers, which is a ton of day one games uh, that are first party and third party, uh, as well as doing a good job to spotlight indies. Really happy to see PlayStation Plus bring it in line. What works against PlayStation Plus as an outsider looking in uh, is the tier system. It is very confusing, I think, to a common consumer, to someone who's like, so do I get it or do I not? Um, (laughs) 
PlayStation has nailed naming in terms of its consoles. One, two, three, four, there, five, there you go. Very easy. You know, Xbox over here having a little like, you know, a little twitching as you're like, all right, this is the Xbox One. It's not the first one, but it's one. Now, this is the One SX series. A little bit confusing. But Game Pass, you've got Game Pass and Game Pass Ultimate. It's a lot easier to figure out. Ultimate gives you everything. Game Pass is a base level. Simple. Um, if I'm a consumer on PlayStation and only a PlayStation, I want to have PlayStation Plus, probably the mid-tier. Uh, I forget which ones that's called. Extra. Um, thank yes. you, extra. See, like And you are, you are so correct. The naming convention for this is ass. It is so bad. Mm-hmm. And I cannot believe that this is the way they were. And the three-pronged approach, I really thought they were going to land on two. I don't really know the point of premium, but I... I keep uh, I keep thinking that it's because eventually classics are going to play a really big part of their plan and that they just went ahead and pulled the trigger on having it as a tier, even though right now the inherent value is not strong. Like, it's also a few more dollars a month. It's nothing crazy. And mm-hmm. it is what I have. But the immediate value is obviously an extra. I mean, it's... a that's where right. the tier exists. So it's also where it's, you know, better priced and mm-hmm. more competitive against something like Game Pass Ultimate, uh, considering that Ultimate is game, uh, you know, is gold and Game Pass kind of smushed together. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can still buy these in yearly discounts. You know, like right. Xbox has had a number of ways to get them cheaper. But one of the things I always disliked about the Xbox thing for Game Pass is there was no incentive to buy a year at a time. And I've always loved that no matter what PlayStation's been like, yeah, if you want to buy a year at a time, we'll give you like $20, $20 off. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's a really good, compelling move. But uh, so I, I guess, you know, you, with you being on this side, do you, I, I think it's safe to assume, and I think this is a good answer to the initial proposed question. Do you currently have PS Plus? I do. Uh, base level, because I have over a decade's worth of digital digitally redeemed games mm-hmm. on that so so I don't want to give that up um it's rare that I boot up my PlayStation to play something other than an exclusive mm-hmm. because my, my my ecosystem that I I inhabit is, is and cover by way of my hobby is Xbox uh but I when I jump in like I want to have access to some of my favorite games like the idea of losing Resogun the idea of, of not having access to, um, oh my God, Helldivers. Uh, mm. And some mm. of my favorite like Xbox, or pardon me, PlayStation exclusive games, I, I don't ever want to give that up. Um, there is a day where PlayStation will do day and date. That's going to happen with their first party eventually. Um, but they we've built this library of just redeemed titles because I was a Vita kid as well. And if you remember early days PlayStation Plus, thanks to CrossBuy with PS3, was you incredible. Vita, Vita games all the time. I played Borderlands 2 on my Vita nonstop. Shovel Knight was was my jam. Uh, even like, like smaller games. Kick and Fennec was great. I, and I love Kick and Fennec is I love that game. Yeah. Like you're the I, only other person I've ever heard mention that <laughs> game, but I love that game. Yeah. Dude, my Vita was my my baby. I loved it. I had the white pearl white version oh oh did you have the did you get the ac liberation bundle i did yeah i had the ac Mm. liberation bundle um and beautiful console such a just such a beauty such a beauty and ahead of its time as (laughs) as a lot of failed technologies are the xbox one (laughs) in terms of policy ahead of its time vita 
in terms of technology and OLED and touch touch screen, back touch screen ahead of its time. Dreamcast uh, back oh. then with its modem ahead of its time. The original Xbox its with its hard drive ahead of its time. And a lot of times these things that I've listed were not the most successful of their generation. Right? Hardly ever are. <laughs> yeah. And even the Xbox One, a completely failed generation for Xbox by comparison to PlayStation. I think they got outsold over two to one, but not quite three to one. Um, almost all those digital policies are in place now for both consoles and pretty forward thinking. Just people were ready. Right. And I, I wasn't going to do that on a 900p system at launch with no exclusives back in the day. Uh, but <laughs> now we all do a lot of the digital library stuff that they had in place. So that's just interesting. Just interesting. It is definitely interesting. I always think about Microsoft because Microsoft and Google are some of the most in terms of dealing with that. I mm-hmm. thought the Zune was incredible. Mm-hmm. I loved mine to death. And Zune Music Pass is a lot like what Game Pass is now. So it's not mm-hmm. even remotely subscribed. It's not surprising to see this move. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, both of those companies have a long history of canceling very good <laughs> technology that just doesn't end up crossing the line unfortunately i mean stadia was good tech stadia was great tech stadia is interesting i never actually ended up doing it which is kind of to to kind of go against what you were talking about with with ps plus right like you hardly ever boot up your playstation besides playing exclusives Mm -hmm. and i think obviously that's the power of exclusives because Mm -hmm. i really only boot my xbox up to either play uh enhanced backward compatibility games like Mm -hmm. uh oblivion at 60 frames per second 4k which is incredible Mm -hmm. uh you know like fallout and whatnot that are also Mm -hmm. like that being able to play the uh, fable anniversary like that so there's a handful of games i've really enjoyed uh doing that with but other times, it's like I'm booting it up to play Sea of Thieves. I'm booting Great it up game. to play Halo Infinite. You know, it's like that yeah. is where I'm at. Um, so it's like I, I have Game Pass and I have a lot of Game Pass uh, just by nature of how easy it was to get a lot of Game Pass. I'm good mm-hmm. until like I have two more years, I think, if I remember nice. correctly. Um, so it, it is interesting to see the two. Now, I think a quick point that I, I feel like Chris and I both have varying degrees of <laughs> agreeance on is uh i saw chris's face whenever you said it so you you said that you think playstation will go day and date on mm-hmm. uh, first party yeah because i think it's interesting that you've spoken with developers and i'm you know often i'm sure it's by nature of how hard it is for them to get the clearance to do so it's a little harder to speak to bigger devs uh, but with what mm-hmm. you have spoken on with people who may be more in the double a or indie space do you feel like that plays out from information that you've received and kind of responses you've seen to this? Or what do you think draws that out? Like, What do you think it is that's going to lead to that being an I have to, like it's going to happen in your opinion? Uh, I think it, it, comes from, it comes from major technology, major technology becoming more common and available in perpetuity to everybody. Um, Xbox did a lot of things as a result of them losing a gaming generation, right? During the Xbox One generation, we saw two hardware redesigns. We saw uh, the implementation of Games with Gold, the implementation of Play Anywhere, which was PC, uh, PC console released simultaneously, and then we saw Game Pass arrive uh, with day-and-date games. Now, that's going to take time. But as people entered into the Game Pass world, they also dipped their toe and they realized they're not into cloud gaming, and and streaming games um, to the point now where you can, for almost every Game Pass title on your Xbox, you can click a button and play it via streaming without downloading it. 
um, right now on Bing, which all six people that use it know about it, mm -hmm. um, you can go in and play a, a number of games via cloud just by going to Bing. Like if you Bing Forza, then you know you just click it, and then you're playing Forza Horizon on cloud. Um, as people begin to find that more common, and that'll happen in the Asian markets where internet speeds are faster. Um, mm -hmm. PlayStation more consistent. Will, right. PlayStation will start <laughs> seeing their engagement be chipped away at. And that's not a dig at PlayStation. That is not a console war statement. And it's not going to come from just Xbox. Uh, they thought it would be Stadia as a threat. Not as much so. But Google and Amazon Luna are both mm -hmm. uh, potential takers away. Uh, I'll draw a GeForce comparison. Now. GeForce Now, great. Uh, that's NVIDIA. Yeah. Um, I'll draw a comparison here. Netflix, Netflix, movies and TV shows, Netflix. Mm -hmm. the, one of their biggest engagement competitors was PlayStation, was, uh, or PlayStation and Xbox. They made Netflix available on these consoles. And then what they found is that people that would be watching TV were suddenly playing games and they were losing audiences to that. It was a really cool study that came out a few years ago. So, PlayStation is going to find their in, in established audience kind of being nicked away at by some of these cloud services to include Xbox, but not be only. And they're going to need a way to compete. Um, and they're already diversifying a number of the, their ways to approach the next, uh, the next 10 to 15 years. And that comes from having multiple, uh, multiple ventures with their IP outside of gaming, like TV shows, Last of Us, Twisted Metal, etc. Yikes, Twisted Metal. Um, <laughs> we thought yeah. Halo was bad. Um, but they're also you know, diversifying by, by letting you access your games via cloud. Now they've beaten Xbox to one element of cloud gaming, which is, is pretty cool. Um, and they're finding ways to get themselves out there in ways that they otherwise hadn't. And that's just future-proofing. And there will come a time where they're going to need to future-proof in a way that their competitor can't say, well, we do this. And Xbox has not been a threat. They're day and date games. No one was worried about Redfall, right? They weren't worried about losing to Sea of Thieves uh, because that's a, a different type of engagement. But I think there will come a time where PlayStation users are going to wonder why they're subscribed to an equal, exp equally expensive service. And wait, they're getting Starfield or Starfield Two or you know Elder Scrolls Six or whatever it is. Why aren't we getting God of War Three? or Ghost of Tsushima uh, 4 whenever this comes to pass. So I think <laughs> yeah. that's what's going to happen. But it's not an immediate thing, and I don't think PlayStation needs to for some time because they are resoundingly in first place, and deservedly so from the work they've done. I mean, I, I realize your audience is PlayStation-based, and I'm an Xbox guy, but look behind yeah. me. Like, there's Mjolnir, there's Kratos. Like, I <laughs> love uh, a lot of what they've built. I got that, that sweet collector's edition for Spider-Man 2. Whew. So, yeah, I'm the only one poor, on this podcast Joe. who didn't get it. <laughs> oh, sorry, poor Joe and poor Chris. <laughs> no, screw Joe, screw Joe. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> He's ugly, and I don't like him. No, so I, I think to, to kind of wrap that up, I, I like I, I get where you're coming from, and I want to hear Chris's side on that in a second as well. Uh, but I do think one thing that you said is really interesting, and it's it's worth noting out that every console manufacturer has brushed against being ahead of the time. As you mentioned, a lot of hardware has. Uh, and not even hardware sometimes, it's just products. Um, I think if you remember, you know, people talk about Xbox and cloud gaming and what that is, and I think they're doing a lot of great, great things within that. Um, but, you know, 
I remember seeing the exact same moves that you're seeing happening with Game Pass's xCloud side in particular right now uh, happen with PlayStation Now back when PlayStation Now was first coming in 2013. You may remember that in 2015, um, or maybe it was 14, Samsung smart TVs had PlayStation Now as an app that you could download onto them and play with a Bluetooth controller connected mm-hmm. to your TV. And you're seeing that now with Samsung being the first smart TV brand to include an app for Game Pass. Now, of course, uh, Game Pass and xCloud are much more robust and uh, refined versions of that hardware. But you can see that Sony, even back 10 years ago, knew that cloud gaming was going to come into fruition some way, somehow, and they did choose to invest in it. So I think I look at that and I think Sony clearly has had and you know taken their foot off the gas a little bit and now are putting it back on with some of their, their streaming stuff. And PS Now is a lot better, what it is now, PS Plus, is a lot better to the point where Last time I played Infamous 2 to go back and grab my Platinum, I have the disc and I have a PlayStation 3. But just to see if I could, I played the entire game on PS Now uh, on my computer just to see how it worked. And it was excellent. And I was able to get the Platinum, beating the game on hard. Uh, so it, I've been it, really impressed with that. But I think where I'm still coming into all of this is I think I would be a little more quick to see an easier path toward a future of where day and date games was more important. If it wasn't the fact that Microsoft is still really the outlier in terms of the established, and I'm glad you brought up Amazon and GeForce and their place within these markets, but within the established console space, and the question there, I guess, is how long does the console space remain dominant to some degree? Um, But you're not seeing that, move clearly from playstation they say it doesn't work it's you know monetary standpoint it doesn't make sense the game could sell through and they'll eventually move it but you're seeing the same thing from nintendo right you're seeing cloud gaming on the switch but you're not seeing nintendo embrace this thing and go we're also going to do day and date games so chris before i allow before i allow luke to kind of come back into it is there anything that you feel like goes into your belief that sony's not going for a day and date on ps plus no, well, I think it's twofold. It's I don't think they need to because, as Phil Spencer and Luke have copied my verbiage here, because Xbox lost last <laughs> generation, in handedly. Them's the facts, bro. Yeah, I, yeah it just it well, made my. We've it, been saying it on the show for about a year and a half now, and then finally, when Phil came out and said it, Chris was like, "I've been, I've been vind- <laughs> vindication." vindication. Mm. It's like Brooklyn Nine Nine, Captain Holt. Vindication. Um, <laughs> no, I think the thing for me is, I think for one, I think Sony will have its cake and eat it too. I don't ever think a new God of War will launch into PS Plus. But I would not be surprised if next year, Fair Games and Concord launched into PS Plus, along with being paid for on PC. So, yeah. So you're you're looking at it more like a uh, different cases are going to be treated differently, where games make sense to go in, like a live service game or something that has alternative mm-hmm. monetization. And I was going to go into that too, as games continue to trend more into the monetization that we're seeing become so popular across the past five years, you have a clear market to be, hey, you can hit this service yeah, day one. I guess for me, and I was actually going to use this in a different point, but it's totally fine. MLB The Show is an unforced error on Sony's part and 
this is the second year on and it still is not in PS Plus day mm-hmm. one. And I feel like if they were going to adapt the model anytime soon for anything other than that, MLB would launch when it's launching free into Game Pass. Like that is such a it's it's I think as a avid MLB player. I think it's a terrible look <laughs> because I, I only play on PlayStation. So it, for me, as someone who spends $99 on the game every year, I think it's a bad look. But they haven't remedied, remedied it. So I feel like it's one of those things where they're like, let it, let it go. It's fine. And it is fine. It sells very well. It's always in the top 10 when it comes out. So, All right. Well, Luke, you got anything you want to add to that? Uh, just the point that I, I didn't, I don't think I touched on, and then you guys danced on it. A lot of the reason that Xbox is able to comfortably do day and date is that the majority of the games that they were uh, pushing have a live service element. Mm-hmm. And that is important. You need an ongoing audience for your drive avatars in Forza Horizon, in Forza Motorsport, in Grounded, in Halo's multiplayer, which they made free to play outside of Game Pass, uh, mm-hmm. in Sea of Thieves, which is for me their most valuable IP. Um, and I, I, $27 ship bundles, it better be your most damn valuable IP. <laughs> Look, man, I, my co host hosts a, a Sea of Thieves podcast, and I'm 900 plus hours in on that game. The game is that game is incredible. It's incredible. I love it's just it. Absolutely yeah. stunning and very wholly unique. But when you have the majority of your titles with a multiplayer and live service element to it, it's a lot easier to say, yeah, we want you day and date within this guaranteed install base of 30 plus million. Um, and Jim Ryan's PlayStation, which we are only now beginning to see, we've been seeing a lot of the, the foundation that Sean Layden built. Um, and Sean Layden built an incredible PlayStation. Uh, we're now seeing kind of Jim Ryan's version. And there's a reason they're so heavily invested into multiplayer and live service. And they tell us that it's not going to come at the expense of uh, single player. And I hope they're correct. In that, but I'm also witness to an Xbox that said X and Y don't come at the expense of uh, A and B, and yet we see that happen. And so, um, I, I think, as to your point of, of case by case, but I think the more live service Sony games, the more they're going to be like, yeah, put it on there. We want yeah. our customers here. And yeah, I think that's fair. Eventually, this is our. I, I think. Uh, we disagree a little bit. Is that I think you will see the God of War esque game, whatever their ver- whatever it is, eight years on from now it w- is whatever the, the story driven non multiplayer game. You right, Trey is bringing his daughter up a mountain to <laughs> create as, as, as long as it's more interesting than that Atreus in Neverland uh, level, I had to play two hours of. Oh yeah, man, just, so stupid! I didn't beat God of War because of that one part. It was so playing dumb. it. <laughs> so dumb. But the rest of it was was great. It goes back to what we were talking about, right? I can completely understand if someone's like, Oh, I loved Ragnarok up until this point. I'm like, okay, yeah, I kind of <laughs> I, I kind of get that one. Also, it's um, hard to catch lightning in the bottle twice. That first abs- God of War. Of course. Absolutely. Yeah, that I, that was my big thing is I remember people were like, What do you feel about it? And I'm like, I just think it it could never live up to what 2018 was. So it's yeah. just it's hard to it's still a great game. It's just yeah. It's it's standing on the shoulders of a of a real giant. But go ahead, Chris. I had one quick thing for Luke about this. Uh, I was curious about his opinion on. Sure. Do you think that the pocket for Game Pass is smaller indie games, and maybe that needs to be more of the focus? Because 
it sounds to me from the outside looking in that indie games are really successful on Game Pass, mm-hmm. but bigger AAA titles are not. Like Outriders not making a profit for Square or People Can Fly. Mm-hmm. You know, and this goes to PlayStation 2 with sure. um, um, the Oddworld game not doing so, as well. Oh, yeah. I broke that story, mm-hmm. by the way. Soul that was Storm. me. Mm-hmm. Did you? That, that was, that was uh, Lauren Landing on my show. Fun fact. I'm glad that you actually brought that up, Chris, because I was going to bring that up too, is that Lauren Landing talked mm. about how PS Plus was actually the opposite of what you were talking about for most of the developers that you've had discussions with with Game Pass, is that PS Plus was a- actively... Uh, PS Plus... That, that side of it is more of the fear that people have to where it's like, can you imagine where Stardew Valley hit, uh, hit a service day one and couldn't go on to sell millions upon millions of copies and get that revenue because instead it had to deal with the initial revenue it got from uh, being on a subscription service? And it's risk versus reward. That's just kind of where it's at. But go ahead, Chris. I didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah, no. And it, that's why my point with MLB where... Sony, to me, again, outside looking in, Sony must not be seeing enough of, wow, we're doing so much better on Game Pass than we're on box sales because it's still, it still hits the NPD. It's still big on PlayStation, though, anecdotally, I play a lot more Xbox dudes than I do PlayStation dudes. Um, but that's, that to me is where I wonder if something smaller with a tighter budget is super successful on Game Pass. But then you look at something like Outriders, which, for all intents and purposes, failed, right? Didn't make a profit. Um, and it, that it launched on Game Pass, not to say that that's Game Pass's fault, but I'm just curious on your take on that. So, great question. Um, I got excited about the Lord Landon thing because I don't get to break news very often. And, I was really <laughs> um, and, and the context for that was sometimes, sometimes lost on people. It had to do with the development delay and the, the time and the money it mm-hmm. took to fix it in that delay window. But um, the... For People Can Fly and Square Enix, how do I put it? Square Enix really screwed over People Can Fly. They sure. really burned, burned them bad. The idea of them not making profit because of Game Pass is not true. Um, oh yeah, there, there was, there was added frustration for the way that Square Enix built that deal, um, and People Can Fly took that deal, and they're reaping the the loss from that. Um, but there was some there was some tomfoolery in that one. Uh, as far as it being an indie space, absolutely, it's going to be an indie space. Xbox has done a great job at reinvigorating their relationships with the indie scene. They had a great relationship during the 360 era. I mean, Summer of mm-hmm. Arcade, and um, mm-hmm. you know, every Wednesday was your arcade drops and stuff, and that was a big deal. Um, and then PlayStation Four didn't have any big launch games outside of Infamous. Uh, Second Son, great video game, um, uh, and so they built their they built their whole mantra on PlayStation loves indies, uh, sound Indie shapes Station. and Rezo game, yeah, Rezo gun, so many. <laughs> um, Xbox reinvigorated and brought that back. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the love that indies have built for them, they've done an incredible job with ID at Xbox. Um, and Game Pass, as it exists, is a wonderful conduit for indie games and for people to uh, access stuff. I don't think it's an indie only service. We see a number of uh, what I what we would now call double A or low mm. level triple A games going into Game Pass day and date and being very successful, even amid controversy. High on Life and Atomic Heart uh, arrived into Game Pass and did very well. Wo Long did extremely well. I was about to say Wo Long was a good example of that, and yeah. they didn't have 
a Russian war to contend with, Atomic Heart, uh, mm-hmm. being funded partially by the Russian government. Really interesting story. High on life with the Justin Roiland stuff at the time. Um, the the ex, like Capcom is even building in day and date third party stuff into Game Pass. Think about Exoprimal mm-hmm. launching in. Uh, if Game Pass didn't work, you wouldn't have seen the Xbox conference that you did where you saw new IP from Ubisoft, new IP from Capcom, and new IP from Atlas all being willing to share the stage with Xbox and two of the three are day and date. I don't think Ubisoft's is day and date uh, into Game Pass, but Atlas is willing to do that and Capcom are willing to put games day and date, AAA games in there. That means something. So to play devil's advocate, because I know anyone listening to this who is looking at Game Pass and has a different view on it, and it's a completely fair question. But at what point can you also look and say, or what would you say to anyone who looks and says, well, the reason that they're willing to do that is because Microsoft is just writing big enough checks. Do you think that that actually checks out? Or do you think that developers are rather, let's take a step back, in this case, in the AAA side of things, do you think mm-hmm. publishers are doing it because of both the paycheck, because they're clearly getting a paycheck. I mean, we understand mm-hmm. how sure. services work, but yeah. do you think it's because of the paycheck and the added benefits that that what we talked about with monetization brings into play? Or mm-hmm. how easily do you think you can write off someone who says, well, it's only happening right now because Microsoft continues to just break out the checkbook and spend microsoft size money? Do you think there's any base to that at all? And how would you rebut against someone bringing that up? Um, I don't know that I would rebut it in like a how oh, you're so wrong thing i would just cite uh, a number of examples in the last decade where xbox is not willing to write a check um in fact playstation is well documented which uh my goodness i'm so tired of hearing about abk but a lot of documents are showing <laughs> that playstation's willing to write checks that xbox is not um and and better or worse good or bad that's been xbox's thing they're not willing to write a lot of those checks um so i would cite that bit of evidence uh there i would also cite the idea that you've got third-party games that are seeing success box sales and game pass and still being happy and again woe long is a good recent Mm -hmm. example of that one um anybody that's taking a stand on game pass is i think missing the point of enjoying video games um like (laughs) nobody should be taking a stand like it's like arguing with somebody uh like like what okay is game pass you still have the ability to buy the game if that's your your stance like if you're anti-game i don't understand an anti-game pass attitude um any more than i understand i'm only physical yeah, what do you I, mean I really by think it's about the future. I, I, and, and it's exactly, you bring up digital and, and physical. And I know because I think Chris sometimes thinks that I'm a little too on the push of the importance of physical. Now, of course, mm-hmm. I still buy digital because me and Chris came share. Um, so it's it's financially beneficial for us to just go that route. It makes it to where we can talk about and play and cover more games for the podcast and all of that. But I think when people look at these things, whether or not it's founded or or reasonable for them to do so, I think a lot of it is that you look at it and fear of the future comes in to where you go, well, the reason I have a problem with digital is because of what it could mean for the destruction of physical games. And like you Mm -hmm. said, currently they both exist, but there's still that fear of the one day it will be all digital. And I'm not completely in that camp, but I have concerns about digital and how we actually don't own anything that we own digitally. But that's a different conversation. It's, and then I think it's people one of those on things the, of cons- 
I'm sorry, I cut you off. I, I just wanted to say, like, no, it's, it's okay. one of those things where concern or not, it is the reality, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think th- that's the the problem. Game Pass, it'll be interesting to watch how it deals with a mega hit, which we expect Starfield to be in a way that even the most staunch Xbox diehard person that for some reason plants a flag on a plastic box. No, none of them could have said that about Redfall. But Starfield, I think, is a different beast. It'll be interesting to see how Starfield is managed next to being launched into Game Pass, onto PC, available via cloud, and then having to contend with, which will, will easily be one of the best-selling games of the year in Spider-Man 2, and a very crowded third-party season. It'll be really interesting so to see crowded. how Game Pass reacts. You know, um, that'll be really, really telling. Yeah, I think it's there's a lot going on within this. And you could you can honestly talk about the differences between these for a long time, because, I mean, you see similar to Chris's point about indie and even like you mentioned, lower double A or double A or lower triple A. You're seeing some of that hit game pass or see seeing some of that hit PS plus day one with games like Stray and Meet Your Maker and uh, Mm. there's other. I mean, what was the Samurai game that I can't think of? Uh, Shadow uh, Warrior it, it, 3 Shadow Warrior 3 which is PS Now is before the rebrand <laughs> yes. it was a day and date PS Now game uh, so yeah there, we clearly see it happening and it's not there but yeah I think just to finalize the point about people I, I understand the fear that comes with and I hear it from some of our listeners and I understand where they're coming from even if I think that there's a plenty of reason not to be super worried is the fear of a of a future where the only way you can play games is through subscription services and then what does that do to the quality of games and it's a lot of things to worry about and i think in the in the spirit of what you said right where you're not focusing i think to some degree you do have to take a a step back and just go what's happening now even if microsoft's writing crazy checks and that's a big if but okay let's say that they were if microsoft are writing crazy checks to get these game pass editions Enjoy it while it's happening. If it if it's eventually going to crash because it's unsustainable for Microsoft, then let it crash when it crashes. Just enjoy what you're getting out of it if you choose to opt into it right now. Mm-hmm. If you th- if something that PlayStation's doing is eventually going to crash as well, enjoy it while it's happening right now. You know you can you can voice your opinion, but hopefully no one is taking these things so much to the point. And I get it. You know this is a, a big hobby for all of us. Clearly to the point that we felt the need to come up and, and form shows and communities to where we can discuss these things. Uh, but one of the things I think that's really interesting about gaming is how quickly you can get swept up into thinking that everything is about the negativity of everything. And mm-hmm. I, I notice this a lot in the fact that there are, there's a, a pretty big contingent of people to where critique has to be negative for some reason. And I don't think that's a fair standpoint. I think critique is just what critique is. It's ways that you're saying something could have been better for you. It doesn't mean it's bad. It doesn't mean you didn't enjoy it. It doesn't mean that you hate it. It's just the nature of what is and how you feel about what is. And that's just kind of where we are. But let's keep this show moving for a second so we can get into all the showcases and kind of highlight the games that we like. Um, Next thing up on the list, as we kind of already hinted at a little bit, Spider-Man 2's Collector's Edition pre-order caused the usual chaos we see from PlayStation Direct. Exclusive drops like this one in the U.S., leading players to call for PS to either drop the exclusive nature of PS Direct or for Sony to better prepare the site for these events so that people do not have the litany of problems that we've seen of getting charged multiple times but still not getting confirmations, being unsure if you even got the Collector's Edition. 
So I see that Luke and I were able to get it. Uh, Chris, did you try and fail or did you just not even try? No, as the host of a PlayStation dedicated <laughs> podcast, I bought the Starfield Collector's Edition. So nice. I could not afford <laughs> the Spider-Man Collector's Edition. <laughs> I, I was on the fence between the two, but I opted instead for, for this bad boy. Yeah, Dude, that's a I, good controller. I love that controller and I hate that it's white simultaneously. <laughs> What's that? You're a PlayStation guy. They have white controllers. I know, but they they get gray. Even if you, cl- it's like you have to clean them constantly. I have a white PS3 controller, and I have cleaned it ad nauseum, and it still yeah. is just dingy. It partially because it's a 12 year old PS3 controller. Mm-hmm. But point being, eventually, all white things don't look as white. <laughs> Boy, that'll get you in trouble. Be careful. <laughs> I mean, I am proof. I went to a beach for three days, and I am much darker. So, I mean, can't stay white forever. (laughs) Um, All right, so got a couple more things here. Originally announced as releasing without a day one patch, Square Enix have come forth to say that in response to feedback from its overwhelmingly fantastically received demo for Final Fantasy 16, there will be a small patch at launch weighing in at a measly 300 megabytes, aiming to address some of the issues that players were able to find with the demo, such as rare frame rate drops, crashes, and minor text issues. Uh, so this is not a big deal, but it's a little unfortunate that the one game that was going to be the star we're marching forward about how we don't need a day day one patch still ends up with one. All right. Here's a, here's a <laughs> hot take for you. I, at this point, given where we are, this, this is not a day one patch. It's not. It's like, it's like the difference between sipping on like a gigantic tall boy versus like a, like a tiny little little shot. I don't know. That's that's just going to be done before you 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 open your bag of chips. <laughs> I mean, three hundred megabytes is like the perfect size because you know I'm a I am a staunch hater of when you buy a game yeah. and the day one patch is almost as big as the game, and you're like, how the hell does this happen? Well, that's kind of my point. We've been like stuck and used to like, oh, I just bought Cyberpunk. I have to download two hundred and eighty seven gigs of patches until I can play it <laughs> next week. Where this one's like, oh, you know. Take your shoes off a little bit, light a candle, and by the time you're you're done, we'll be ready to go, you know? <laughs> well, I think the upside, too, is that the game is clearly stable enough that if you don't want to have to deal with the day one patch, or you don't have access to internet, as we talked about earlier, uh, since America still has a surprisingly large swath of places with barely a reasonable access to high-speed internet, it, it is honestly kind of mind-blowing how behind the curve we are on that <laughs> in rural areas, but... Uh, yeah, this is this Add is pretty small. <laughs> <laughs> Add it to the list. Uh, final piece here, and this one's kind of a blow, but thankfully it's still going to hit this year. EA's next release under its EA's original uh, originals label, Immortals of Avium, has announced that it will be delaying its release from the original July 20th date to a new date of August 22nd. As expected, the delay is said to, quote, give us time to further polish the game, finish optimizing all platforms, and deliver a strong launch, with studio CEO Brett Robbins adding, quote, we owe it to ourselves and you to get this right so the normal pr speak but i don't think that this is any kind of um cause for concern this is not too surprising the main problem i have with this is it pushes another game that much closer to the very crowded third party and even exclusive windows that (laughs) luke brought up earlier and it's not in it thankfully but it's not far from it 
I was really bummed when I saw this one because I was really looking forward to this being one of my July games next Mm -hmm. to Exoprimal. Mm-hmm. Um, which is just another video game and video game, man. I love Excel it. Primal is awesome. Right? It's so cool. <laughs> it's so much fun. It's so cool. Um, <laughs> but I, I'm, I was bummed to see the August date. I would have much preferred them say, you know what? November, December. Um, Honestly, I'm with you. Been great. Skip it all mm-hmm. and give it more time. Maybe they can't afford to. Could be that. This is, I mean, it's EA. Oh, I think I know. personally... January 1st would have been the perfect day it. for Immortals of <laughs> Yeah. So we had a Metacritic draft going and we had three, we had the ability to add three games throughout this year. And this was mm-hmm. one of my additions. Uh, <laughs> as soon as they, as soon as I saw the first trailer, I thought, am I crazy or does this look fucking incredible? It looks and, fun, uh, man. It does. Look so so good. I, I am so glad. And like you said, I, I love, th- there's been a real pull and we'll get into this conversation a little deeper when we actually go all the way into the, the showcase. But there's a real tug of war going on in the industry between the love of games for being games and gameplay mm-hmm. and the love of games for what they can provide you in story and yeah. then how those things are used to present the game when developers and publishers choose to show it. But we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, for now, this is a big hit uh, just because, like you said, I think pushing it to a late August, is like maybe if it would have been like, hey, we're going to delay it two weeks, it had been a little bit better, mm-hmm. but it's it's going to be really crowded. And I think the biggest downside for the developer here is that it may be pushing it into a competitive window that it can't thrive in. It's, exactly it's a little bit of a worry. And I think November might have been the better option to get past everything and still get a little bit of the bump from um, holiday sales. We'll see how this plays out. But it's... It's, uh, it's going to be hard on reviewers. They're going to get Starfield early. Um, mm-hmm. Like if I remember the date that they're getting Starfield, it's er, that's not set in stone, but like they're gonna get a build of Starfield and then it'll wipe and then they'll get the the early access one. But that means right in that window where they could be playing Immortals, they're gonna have to review, and that means coverage, and that means clicks and engagement, people talking and thinking about it, um, and that's a frustration. The one hope for this game is that nothing about this game screams huge, crazy, long-winded game. Mm-hmm. Everything I could tell, this looks like one of those classic, really strong, tight, 12 to 15-hour, maybe 18-hour stories that you're you're done, one and done, whereas a game like Starfield's clearly a lot different. So my hope is that by that nature, you know, people could still get in, be able to play it, be able to get pieces out for it but eventually it'll get buried by the sheer weight of starfield it's just the nature mm-hmm. so it, it's still a worry but i think thankfully the game is not it, we're not talking about trying to review avowed against starfield or something right. you know much larger scale That'd so, be a hell of a release month holy shit <laughs> that would be crazy and also i'd be like microsoft what are you doing <laughs> <laughs> the titan falling avowed yeah you know the crazy thing is Obsidian has so much love that I don't even know if it would actually be a problem, but it's yeah. possible because Respawn had a lot of love too and you still saw what happened there. I'd play about first personally. Hot I take. think I actually would too, but Starfield still does look good. We'll talk about that in a little bit. All right, so now that we're here, we are kind of to the community's take and I think I'm just going to use the community's take as a chance for us to have an all-encompassed conversation about what happened at the showcases, games that we kind of want to shout out. I don't want to go through and 
you know, recap every single one. But instead, I want to kind of look at the summer as a whole, all these events that we saw, all these different games, and kind of just highlight the ones that are exciting us, maybe worrying us if there's any that are there, and have some conversations about what these showcases tell us about where gaming as an industry at large is in the more AAA sphere, where it's at more in the indie and AA sphere, and what that means for both Xbox, PlayStation, and gamers as a whole. So remember, if you guys want to be part of the community's take, we always prompt uh, the day before we record to give you time. And you can do so by following us on Twitter at Triangle SQRD. You can follow us uh, in the group that we have on Facebook called Triangle Square to PlayStation Podcast. If you ask to be entered into there, we'll gladly let you in. And lastly, you can always click in the description below, whether you're watching on YouTube or listening on podcast services, and join the Discord where we have a dedicated spot to talk about the community's take uh, and give your responses. So. This week's, as we come back from vacation and all the showcases that happened within that time period, uh, as well as the PlayStation 1 that happened a little bit before, uh, the question is, with the summer showcases from all of gaming's biggest players having come to pass, what's your level of excitement following all of these new announcements? Is the variety speaking to your gaming likes, or do you still feel underserved? Any game shown rise to the top of your interest, let us know what excited you. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and kind of get these out of the way, and we can have as much conversations within each one of these as we feel. But the first one comes from longtime listener, longtime patron, Rude Days 93 And he says, as a Western RPG fan, it's great to see the variety shown at the Xbox Game Showcase, with the biggest of them in all, uh, all in Starfield kicking it off in September. Starfield also continues what will go down as the best gaming year in history. One week in October alone has Forza Motorsport, Alan Wake 2, Spider-Man 2, three games any other year would be Game of the Year winners. I love how he chooses, and and I love the optimism. But he chooses to look at that as a great thing. I look at that as, how the hell am I going to play any of this? (laughs) So... Uh, Luke, something for reference. I'm a huge Gran Turismo fan. I love racing games. Nice. Uh, Need for Speed Unbound hitting Game Pass right now, uh, hitting Game Pass mm-hmm. this month for people that haven't played it. Please, if you have Xbox and that's your bag, go play it. Go try it without having to dip money into it. Mm-hmm. Also, it's totally worth the money. It's a fantastic game. But I've been really interested because this Forza is going to bring a lot of features that Gran Turismo's had for a while that Forza's kind of been lacking on the more simulation side. And as someone who has traditionally liked Gran Turismo more, I've been really excited to see like, okay, what are they doing with this? Because Forza usually does have a labor of love feel to it in a different area than Gran Turismo does. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you being on the Xbox side, are you much into racing games at all? Or is Forza do anything for you? Or are you more on the Horizon side? Or are you just not a racing fan? More on the Horizon side. Um, sim racing, simulation in general probably isn't my jam. Um, hmm. It's one That's of those. Why you didn't like Red Dead too? <laughs> yeah, it, it pretty much. Yes, uh, I, I like for video games to feel like video games mm-hmm. most of the time. Um, uh, man, if we had time, I'd, I'd bring up Last of Us and just to discuss that too. But like. I really think Forza Motorsport appeals to, when I say the word niche, I don't mean small, but a niche group of gamers, a very, like, a, a section of gamers that we don't often get to have a lot of overlap on these kind of shows. It's rare, I think, in uh, the podcasting gaming space that I know a lot of racing enthusiasts mm-hmm. that are also interested in all the other stuff too. I know you, I know Ainsley Bowden, Greg Stewart from Player One, and maybe two or three others. 
right? Yeah, it's it's crazy how often I've actually been we've been told that part of why they listen to the podcast is that I like racing games. That's awesome. <laughs> I love hearing and, and that. Most you're right. Most most enthusiast shows that are more broad as speaking as well, they're not. Mm-hmm. So you're either going to get a racing game podcast, right? Or you're normally not going to see it in a broader show. Right. Um, but but I, I love the idea that motorsport's coming out this year. I think it and Starfield are two great ways to end a pretty darn good year of Xbox. And I want to echo uh, Rude Days 93, who I, I fully agree. This is the best year in video games. Um, I respect 2007. Um, I think this is the best year of video games ever when you look at the quality of stuff start to finish, the quality of things that were in the showcases. Um, we're halfway through this year and I've already had, had how many game of the year contenders from like Hi-Fi Rush, God, uh, Hi-Fi Rush, Dead Space, uh, Resident Evil 4, Hogwarts, Jedi Survivor, Diablo, uh, Zelda's Tears of the Kingdom, Street Fighter, like in their genre, their game of the year winners in a lot of ways. And it's like, we still have so much to go. And that October, you could pick any one of those games and play it for months and be happy. Quick question, kind of gut check for both of y'all. Do you think this year happened the way it did entirely because of the delays that COVID put on the industry? Yes. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. I just don't think any publisher would usually be like, hey, let's load a year down this much. I think that they'd be like, oh, there's a lot of competition. But I feel like most of these games have been being sat on for a long time and worked on a long time and faced a lot of challenges. And now they're like, we've got to get it out just to start recouping money, no matter what it takes. They did the same thing this year in 2008. That would be my pushback. Well, you're not wrong. If you think about what happened around 2008 and the financial situation around stuff, Mm -hmm. I think that some of those games got pushed out because they had to. And we just got lucky enough that enough of them were so great that people remember 2007 and 2008 fondly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think we'll look back at this year. The crazy thing about this year is so much has happened that it's really hard almost to... I think it'll be easier for me as an individual to look back on this year as amazing than it is when you're dealing with the chaos of it all as it's happening because it is so much and there's so much I want to play and I've had so much time elsewhere and I had that weird kind of, I burnt myself out from open world games and games are so open worldy right now that Mm -hmm. for like three months I played my Vita exclusively. I don't know why. It's just what happened. So it, it is a year that I think I'll probably have to relook at but it's clear to say that if nothing else, broadly looking, this is an incredible year uh, and will continue to be so. Uh, what do you guys think about some of the stuff that's been talking about here where a lot of the games and thankfully some new additions have changed the title a little bit. Uh, but earlier this year, a lot of the games that had broke the 90 mark on Metacritic, as much as Metacritic doesn't matter, but it's still just a good show of where the industry's at and what people view almost all of them were remakes or remasters. And up until this past month where Diablo and Street Fighter VI have kind of started to change that tide and uh, Zelda, you had uh, you had Metroid Prime remastered. You had the Dead Space remake, which almost got to 90, didn't quite make it. You had, of course, um, um, Resident Evil 4's remake. So a lot of a lot of nostalgia driven in there. How do y'all think that that's actually kind of going to impact the industry moving forward do you think we're going to see more nostalgia chasing because there's a long there's a conversation right now about whether final fantasy 16 will break the 90s and i think if any game's going to it's going to be that i don't see and 
it sounds kind of pessimistic and I don't mean it that way, but I don't see a newcomer breaking into the nineties this year. I think everything's going to be established franchises or remasters and remakes. Like I think final fantasy 16 will get it, but final fantasy 16 is a beloved long running franchise, just like Zelda is. Uh, do y'all, do y'all find any weight in that? Or do you think that there's a game this year that's new, not a sequel that could pop up and be the Bioshock of this year? Chris, you want to go on this one? Yeah, I think if Starfield launches the way they're talking about, that's a 95 game. I think that's okay. totally feasible. Starfield is the only game that I think is there. And it's interesting because it's doing so off the back of the nostalgia of the developer, but it still counts. <laughs> For sure, yeah. New IP. Yeah, yeah. new IP. Um, yeah. And I have no problem... I have no problem with the idea that remakes are getting... These ninety. If you're taking the best games so and good. making them better for a new audience, like that's great to me. I have no problem with that. In fact, I say bring on more of them. Um, we have enough service uh, subscription services in place. We have enough developers that exist. We have enough publishers that exist that you can have remakes and remasters and collections and still get new. And so, if you mm. want new indie games, are where you need to be. Need to be because they're the ones taking all the risks mm-hmm. and and it's rare you're going to get a triple a game that's taking a lot of risks that's just the reality of business and i think uh chris is right when he says starfield will, will break 90 i was not on the starfield's gonna break 90 train until after the showcase um and Same. so now now i'm like all right you win i'll curmudgeonly agree with you um and so well, <laughs> here we are talking about starfield I'll take the moment to say that, as I've mentioned before when they previously showed little bits of it, it always felt – I was conflicted the entire time of like the first half of the showcase, right? And I was kind of dealing with this fact of like it still looks so much like No Man's Sky and I still have yeah. a lot of worry about how thousands of planets can lead to truly compelling things and that it won't do – to compare once more No Man's Sky thing of there being thousands of planets. But if we're being honest, there's only a handful of interesting things per planet. And then you start to see repetition by the nature of mm-hmm. what that is. And so I kept thinking that. And then as they kept showing it, and then they, they showed a little bit more, and I started seeing how much they really were able to at least showcase variety, whether or not the variety is truly that deep in the game remains to be seen. But I started being like, okay, this kind of looks incredible. And this, if it, if they pull it off to the way it's being shown, this actually has pretty big ramifications for the gaming industry because Bethesda, as much as I have a back and forth relationship with them, I thought, you know, their newer games have almost entirely missed me. I think Fallout 76 had a lot of issues uh, at launch, and thankfully it's in a much better place now. Fallout 4 is a fine game, but as Chris and I have talked plenty, he loved it, and I beat it and moved on. I don't think it was an amazing game in the same rights or in the same way that I think Oblivion, Fallout 3, or even Skyrim and stuff like that were for their times, even Morrowind. But I still see the, the value of the game. So for a long time, I've kind of been in that weird state. And I think that this is a redemption game for Bethesda. I think that that's... A, not necessarily a surprising viewpoint. 76 did a from lot of damage to them. Uh, yeah, just kind of, yeah, specifically Bethesda Game Studios as an individual developer because they went through some rocky times. And I know that Fallout 4 was a great, beloved selling game, but 
and this is where you have to be careful about looking online for or seeing online. Mm-hmm. It's hard to get a feel for how the actual Fallout community outside of sales feels mm-hmm. about Fallout 4 <laughs> versus you know the people who are online choosing to talk about it. So it's it's a little rough, but I guess for me Starfield can be a redemption game for sure. And then for mm-hmm. the general public, hopefully it's a redemption for the it just works nature of Todd Howard's uh, <laughs> now infamous speech. Mm-hmm. So it works because one man on the Vegas Strip is wearing a cowboy hat. If he's not <laughs> wearing that cowboy hat, you cannot play the game. <laughs> the whole game is fucked. Single digit frame rates, Chris. Oh my god! <laughs> Get on my level. <laughs> Hardest platinum I've ever gotten. And I adore that game, but boy, is it a shit show. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. Bethesda is an interesting. Because, like you said, I didn't love Fallout 4, but Fallout 3 is my favorite, one of my favorite games of all time. The hot and top well, number two. So, really answer this question. Where's though. that remaster? Remake. Who, Sorry. <laughs> who makes games like Bethesda? And it's a really important question because it, for all the shit that they get, and sometimes I even give them for the fact that their games are sometimes broken, who makes games like Bethesda? Tons of people make games like Bethesda, but nobody else makes a Bethesda game. Does that make sense? And it's funny because Xbox scooped up the other two that could have possibly, which were In Exile and Obsidian. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. what I was about to say. The only other two that I think would even brush against it these days. But I really bring that up because no other AAA game company, definitely AAA, I think that's worth noting, makes games where the entire focus of the game is on object permanence. You know, the little joke mm-hmm. about the sandwiches, that yep. is a really interesting thing because now you're talking about thousands of sandwiches from thousands mm-hmm. of planets that if you choose to be the idiot that does it, the game's going to let you do it. Have you ever seen the video of Skyrim where the person just went into the the command line and summoned like a million cheese wheels at the top of the mountain? Yeah. yeah. I saw it's that. a great video, but no other developer in the AAA level for sure makes games like that, where you can pick every item up, move it around, drop it, and it stays there the entire time you play the game. And that is amazing, even for all the problems it can potentially bring. And I am super curious if this is the one Bethesda game that launches without huge numbers of bugs. And I hope for their sake that it's not. Um, my um, my co-host on Cast Co-op and my, my good friend Ainsley Bowden, he had dinner with, uh, was it Pete Hines? He sat with Pete Hines and Todd Howard both separately over the past like summer game fest and um I saw he was them to- posting pictures together yeah he was totally name dropping when he was telling us privately too he's like and we talked about it, and he kept telling us all that stuff but <laughs> he and i trust ains uh implicitly he f- said that he felt an air of confidence that uh kind of permeated the room about it and Bethesda, it's tough to talk about Bethesda like are you talking about publisher game studio and in our case we're talking game studio right mm-hmm. um but Bethesda Publisher, they've done a lot of good and bad for me this year. I, I like Redfall. It's not good. I really enjoyed my time with Redfall. It's a broken yeah. mess, not good. Yeah, I, I actually had fun the like four hours I played of it, four or five hours. I just never returned to it. That's the problem. Right. It, wasn't, it didn't pull me. Whenever I was in it, I was in it. And the moment right. I was out of it, absent, you know, out of sight, out of mind. They also brought Bethesda proper as a publisher, brought Hi-Fi Rush, which is just incredible. Everyone should try that game. Um, Great game. They also brought uh, Ghostwire to Xbox and brought the 
Spider's Thread update to PlayStation and Xbox, and that's a really good game. I um, love Ghostwire. Yeah, I, I also mean, love Ghostwire. It's not like cream of the crop, and I don't even want to act like it is. The game has problems, but it exudes something that it's hard to describe that other games just don't have, and Again, I really enjoy it. There's an odd Bethesda esque element to it. It's great. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed it. Ectoplasm. Mm-hmm. It exudes ectoplasm. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we, yeah. We've got way off track on the question. What was the question? That's nah, okay. I mean, we're at this point, we're just talking about all the fun games. So let's keep going down the line. Let's look at Jehudi MD. He says, he's another patron, longtime listener. He says, overall, the showcases showed a good variety of games. Keyword, variety is a really big word for this showcases across the board, which should be. So it's good. He says, I didn't watch every single one of them, just the big three. So I assume that means PlayStation, Xbox, and Summer Game Fest. However, my level of excitement was mainly surrounding a few select games, Final Fantasy VII Rebirth and Starfield. Final Fantasy VII continues the amazing remake uh, efforts from Square Enix and Bethesda showed how an open world slash universe is made and is inviting to be explored. All right. Where are you at on Final Fantasy VII, Luke? Uh, I, I chose to opt out of Final Fantasy when I was an adolescent and never went back. I've never enjoyed or gotten into it. And so I'm so sorry that burns a bridge with the PlayStation oh. audience. I, I've never <laughs> Are you not joining Joe? Are you not joining Joe and being hyped for Final Fantasy 16 as the first Final Fantasy of your life? <laughs> that My you've been prediction, I want to tell you right now, that boy's going to love that game for two weeks and be done. <laughs> That's uh, what's going to happen. Um, no, I, I, I'm curious too, though, because the thing is, is that's kind of the game you're supposed to love for two weeks and then go because it's it's, it's a it? one and done experience, you know. But I get your point, nonetheless. Go ahead. I, I just have never gotten into it, and so it's one of those gaming gaps that I. Uh, it's one of those franchises that I just not into. I've tried, never going to be into it. Um, it's I don't know. Back when I was a kid, PlayStation One, it was like, do I want Metal Gear, or Final Fantasy? I want Metal Gear and never look back. Respect I didn't have the option for both. So, <laughs> um, you know, there is a there's a question that we got in from Rude Days ninety three that I kind of want to bring in here because I think it's a good time to ask it. Um, he asked, "Is there a PlayStation studio that you think could pull off what Zelda and soon Starfield will be doing in deep customization, aka the ability to make a penis out of anything?" And is there one that you would like to see give that a try? And the reason I bring this up is because if you talk, if you look at a lot of what is going on between the two developers or the, the two publishers slash uh, hardware manufacturers, the, these. Now that we're seeing the fruit of Microsoft's acquisitions come a little more into focus and we're actually being able to see some of these things, PlayStation has a clear gap in RPGs. Mm-hmm. And you see a lot of their games approaching RPG ideas like you know you see in Horizon and whatnot, but they don't have a tried and true RPG. And so a lot of what they do for RPGs is lean heavily on a square to give them JRPGs, whereas because of the long lack of Japanese support up until recent years for Xbox, they chose to lean into what they've always had a good grasp on, which is Western RPGs. Mm-hmm. So when we're looking at that, I've spent a lot of time thinking, Chris, of the studios that you know from within Sony, do you think that there's any Sony studio that's still actively open today that you think would be able to really give a shot at doing a deep customization 
big, sprawling, more RPG style game. Yeah, because hot take, didn't Sony do this first twice? With what games? Little Big Planet and Dreams. I'm glad you brought that up because I was saying Media Molecule is probably the one studio that I'd be like, they understand mechanically how to give you freedom. Yeah. And that's what both of these games are about. Answering the question on its face, uh, my only answer is Insomniac or Housemark. Why Insomniac, out of curiosity? Because Insomniac could tell me they were making a <laughs> game that was just a black screen. I would assume it's going to be okay. <laughs> they've not missed yeah. they've not missed they've made yeah, one they, bad game and that game was not their fault so Fuse which one was it? Fuse oh Pretty, almost almost, pro, almost yeah. not an issue how long ago it was you know exactly what was that 2012? earlier it was 11? the era of every box having <laughs> the head cut off mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah that's true mm. what was that game almost called Chris? Overstrike. Overstrike. And I remember because I always, when they announced Overwatch, I was like, isn't that that Insomniac game? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I worked um, at GameStop when the Overstrike trailers were on before it was renamed as Fuse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah uh, Insomniac just doesn't make anything bad. And then um, Housemark, I don't know if their experience translates perfectly, but just given what they do with particle effects and how that taxing that must be. Like, it's a different level of taxing the system, but still, I think they might be able to... They've been able to figure that out. Maybe we can reverse engineer it into something I'm going to save my answer for last, because I think it's an interesting one at the very least. Luke, do you have a studio in mind of the PlayStation repertoire that you think could uh, maybe fulfill this? Uh, I agree with, with the Insomniac uh, call. I was going to note them. I think uh, I think there's a world where Santa Monica could do it. Um, but I have found... Especially, you know, in in the last few years, don't bet against a team just because they're doing something different, right? Like mm-hmm. Playground is making Fable, right? They've been mm-hmm. elite in making racing games, and yet Fable is is for all intents and purposes looking pretty darn impressive. If that is truly gameplay, which they consistently double down on the fact that it is, and so when I see that that the people who made Ratchet and Clank can suddenly make Spider Man and crush it. And then I see playground can can jump from racing over. Um, and who? What did Hori- the developers of Horizon make prior to Killzone? Thank you, Killzone. That's a pretty big jump too. Shout out to Shadowfall. I like that game. Um, and great Liberation. Game. And, well, Liberation, Liberation also a great game. Um, but so, the so only I bad Killzone game is Killzone One, and it has its qualities. It's just <laughs> a, it was a first person shooter on PS2. What are you going to get? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, bottom line, I. I those are my answers, but like I don't, I wouldn't bet against uh, almost any first-party PlayStation studio. And I, I grimaced and winced when um, when Chris said Media Molecule uh, because Media Molecule does great stuff that never sells, and that bums me out. It is their biggest problem, and the craziest thing is their first thing, Little Big Planet, sold incredibly, and then everything that they've made that's not Little Big Planet has been a abject failure when it comes to money and it mm-hmm. really sucks yeah because tearaway is an incredible game 
And yeah. unfortunately, well, at least the Vita version. I won't speak to the PS4 version. And it's it's just it sucks to see. But I do think that on a mechanical level, they they clearly don't have the staff needed to make a game of this scope. But on a mechanical level of getting people who understand how to give players a tool set, like what you see in Starfield's character creation. Which, by the way, I just want to say Starfield's shipbuilding is just Kingdom Hearts one gummy ship creation. I don't know. <laughs> it, look at a video and tell me I'm wrong. But I'm not the only one who's noted it. As soon as I saw it, I was like, bitch, that's just gummy shit from PS2. I've seen this before. It looks <laughs> it looks great. <laughs> and one of the really cool aspects of that is that what you do on the outside of the ship actually in- impacts the inside of the ship. That's incredibly cool. Um, but going towards the developers, I mean, yeah, Media Molecule understand how to give players tools to do what they want, which I think is clearly what Zelda excelled at uh, this year. But... My actual solution, if I'm looking more on the ability to scale up and do something at a big enough thing, I think you look at the freedom that these games offer and you look at what Sony Sony developers have given that kind of freedom. And I think the closest I can reference is actually Days Gone. I think Bend with the world of Days Gone, there's a lot of ways in where you can interact with the world in interesting ways to get interesting outcomes to solve your problems in a combat manner so if they could find a way to scale that up i think that they could make a game with deep customization within that i'd almost like to see ben take a crack at like a survival game and i know chris hates survival games so he probably wouldn't (laughs) like to see that i do but i think they have the core thought process when developing a game down for that uh and i I felt like horizon one had a, a little hint of that and then horizon two took almost all of the interesting problem solving a way that horizon one had in its gameplay. So there's not an immediate answer, but I think there's a few developers I'd like to see, give it a try. And I I think if who knows what Bend is working on right now, (laughs) no one knows, but if they were to announce that they were doing something like this, I think that that'd be cool. And I'd be behind it. Cause like you said, why write any developer off just because they're making something that's not what they've made before. So, all right, let's see. We got, Two more answers here, and then we'll kind of wrap up with whatever we want to talk about. Uh, Pork Chops. (laughs) He says, I really enjoyed the variety of games shown off. It really is a little something for every type of player. However, I'm concerned with how many games, in quotes, developers, still only show CG trailers. Here we are, the the meat of it all. And no gameplay. Are we, as a gaming audience, still falling for this trap? Or do the developers still think that they can get us to fall for this? I've been burned too many times to get hyped for a game that shows no gameplay. Now, clearly the CG trailer thing has been a problem for Xbox. It's been a problem for PlayStation as of the most recent showcase. Uh, And I know Chris and I have kind of shared our thoughts on it. But Luke, where are you kind of at with where Microsoft got criticized for it and then how they've somewhat been able to help fix that problem with the newest showcase? Do you think gaming's in a bad spot with it or how do you feel? They wouldn't do it if it didn't work. So um, clearly, well, while the listener and, and a number of us might be like, "Oh, you know, I can't believe this that you know we all buy the game and get excited anyway," because a lot of times it's we just we're into that trailer. Um, is it a problem? Yes. Is it something that the vocal uh, people on social address? Yes. Um, we it was literally in the wake of Summer Game Fest and the PlayStation Showcase. It was asked to Aaron Greenberg, like, "Hey, what are we going to see at Xbox?" And he said, "All in engine, uh, in engine something." I forget his verbiage there, but the bottom line was no CGI. Then you go and you watch 
Xbox's showcase, and he's right, but he was wrong, right? Exactly. Like, he's right and he's wrong. That said, I do think the trailers we saw gave an idea of what Avowed is now going to be, right? We see the change in art style. We see uh, what South of Midnight's going for in terms of uh, its artistic impression and presentation, but we don't know gameplay. We see Fable. We know what that's going to be to a point. Uh, We we look at Starfield. That one's pretty much in the bag there. Um, But it's... It's tough to it's tough to be mad about because it happens all the time and we all still buy the games. If boycotts worked, you know, Call of Duty wouldn't sell. Um, so I'm not <laughs> upset by it. I don't think gaming is in a bad place for it. I appreciate Xbox's candor by labeling things. I think uh, I didn't feel like PlayStation was egregious with that one. I was I'm of the mind uh, that all three showcases were were uh, good to great. Um, C to A. Uh, I, I gave Summer Game Fest a C, PlayStation a B, Xbox a low A, um, and I was happy. Like I found games in every single showcase I wanted to play, and that's how I measure it. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate the question. I know why it's being asked, but for, but I don't get befuddled by seeing CG unless we're like two months out and we haven't seen gameplay. That's a different different thing. Yeah, I think, you know, my frustration has long been that I think they show games off too early. And that's usually when we see the CG trailers. And I'm going to take a step like you were talking about with Aaron Greenberg, where in reality, he's right. Nothing was CG. But I think what a lot of people mean when they say that, it's kind of like how people say CG when they may mean like VFX in a movie. Mm -hmm. There is a distinction between them, but... I think what people are kind of getting at, and it's definitely where I feel like maybe there's a disconnect between more core gamers and the casuals that make up the actual more significant chunk of the gaming market as it is today. And that is the difference between what they're looking for in a game and then what the value of gaming is to them. So I think, you know, being a longtime gamer... I think something has been lost to where it's rare that we get the Fallout 4 reveal where we see a game and we go in-depth on all of its gameplay systems the day we see it. And then Starfield kind of got closer to that where when we finally did really see it, we got 30 or 40 minutes of straight-up real gameplay. And I think where it comes down to is that people who are more core gamers who have been doing this for a longer period of time and maybe didn't introduce into the more CG trailer-driven things, so it's always been part of the gaming market since like early 2000s, is that there's a disconnect between what the importance of what a game is. So whenever I'm looking at a game, I think that a lot of these games are hard to tell because I don't know what they are. And some trailers do a better job even with CG or in-engine footage of giving you an idea of what they're going for. And then some just show you something and you're like, but I don't know. The the part of gaming that makes gaming unique is how you interact with it. And a lot of the times they show games in a way where I cannot understand how I will interact with it. And I think that's the disconnect that's happening there. Do you kind of have a, a, a thought on that, Luke? Do you think that really matters, or do you think it really is just a difference between a certain sect of gamers who want to see how they're going to physically interact with the game, whereas a lot of other people look at games and go, I want to see how I'll interact with I want to see if, if I'm going to be doing this with friends or what the story is going to bring and how it's going to impact me. What do you think is kind of going on there? I mean, who's the audience? 
Like, who's it for, right? Like, is it for the enthusiasts that are watching it and analyzing it, or is it for uh, the articles that are going to be written, hey, there's a Star Wars game coming, mm-hmm. and people get excited. So who's it for, I think, is the question that we're asking. Like, there was a time where E3 uh, was about showing numbers and sales charts and projections, and that is long gone. You go back and you watch the old PlayStation showcase of, 2008 Xbox showcase of 2008 and you're seeing executives get up there and and talk about numbers and you're seeing mm-hmm. artists perform on stage whereas now we're getting trailer 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 um I'm all for the trailer 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 method and I think that you know the CG the, I would I like so Hellblade let's talk about Hellblade I saw Hellblade that was an incredible trailer one of the most powerful if you were watching with headphones but I was disappointed to not see combat that's what I want. Like with Starfield, I'm not going to walk around and make a bunch of sandwiches or mine and explore stuff. I'm going to fly around and shoot things and board th- and shoot things. That's what I want to play, right? Um, if if the game that is being showcased in a trailer is ingenuous, ingenuous, the opposite of disingenuous, uh, if it's genuinely... <laughs> genuine? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. If it's genu- I was trying to make it cooler than just genuine. But if it's what <laughs> is going to be... If it's... Uh, symbolic of the the genuine experience I'm going to have as a gamer, then I'm fine. Cool. Right? It's just a matter of like, are you trying to appeal to the masses outside of the enthusiast space who are watching the shows on live streams and blogging and talking and all that? Or are you trying to talk to the people that like will hear about it through a social post about, hey, I saw there's a new Star Wars game. Yeah. Well, I think my go-to as a good example of the difference between what you can offer is that as much as I uh, would have preferred to have seen gameplay from everything that PlayStation showed, from like Haven's game and the Fire Sprite game, um, or Fire Walk rather game, I look at like Fair Games trailer is a CG trailer, but the upside for it is I understand the type of game it'll be. From what it is like, I can easily figure out and deduce what type of gameplay you're going to see and how you're going to interact with the game. Then you have Firewalk's game, which is just a CG trailer moving through a ship. And I'm like, but I don't know what the hell that is. It tells me nothing. And there is a frustration that sets in from that. You know, I, I think you could you could easily use CG to show off a game like Immortals of Avium because it's a clearly easy to digest thing. And some games are better at that and some games aren't. And some games are less about gameplay and more about the impact of the story and the characters. And a good example of that being I recently played through um, Telltale's The Walking Dead, the very first one, for the first time. And it's hard to call that a, an amazing gameplay experience. It's not. It's a, it's an, it's a very impactful video game where you interact with it by means of a very simple interface and it gives you a stronger connection than just watching something on TV possibly. Um, But let's, uh, I think I want to get to a point where we kind of can look at the games that we want to highlight from the showcases and then wrap the show up. So the last, uh, the the last response we have that I'm going to highlight from the community's take is from sweet Gran Turismo Jones. And I want to do this because I, I like to sometimes get something that's kind of going against the grain of everyone else. So he says dragon's dogma two was the only thing I'm excited for. Armored Core put out gameplay footage. I'll keep my eye on that. Everything else was okay. Some cool stuff, but nothing realistically that I'm going to play. Still waiting for Project Ring, uh, Wingman or even better Ace Combat 8. And I I thought putting this in here is good because it highlights that no matter how much variety you have, there is always little subsections of gaming that are just hard to 
you, we talked about racing and how racing is hard to find within the podcast space. Um, I'm sure that's even even greater when you're dealing with games of like flight sims and air combat games that you don't see a lot of. So, and he's right. You, you didn't really see any of that there. So at the end of the day, all the variety in the world for those showcases was still lacking something by the nature of, uh, of how the business goes and what there is there. But with that said, um, I think I, I built up a little list of just, a handful of games that I wanted to shout out instead of going through each one. Uh, and so I know that we'll have a few kind of in, in our heads that kind of wowed us throughout the showcase. So Luke, from kind of every showcase, is there just like a handful of games that really stick out to you as something that you're looking at and you're like, I see promise in that, or I see something that's more than just a passing interest and more of a driven I'm going to keep an eye on that game. Are there a handful of games you want to shout out? Yeah, sure. Uh, Sonic Superstars. Really, really stoked for that. Um, Really, really stoked for that one. I love Sonic Mania. I'm excited. I need to, oh, I need to download the expansion that's out now. Um, But I I dig Sonic. I've I've really fallen in love with Sonic. Frontiers maybe go on a full-on like history lesson for that one. So Sonic Superstars. Yeah. Um, I love Frontiers. Uh, so Sonic Superstars for sure. Um, really excited about the not talked about Metal Gear Solid Collection. Uh, everyone's kind of looking at what Snake Eater is and isn't because of a CGI trailer. Um, but, <laughs> but the fact that we're getting the collection this holiday or, or sometime before this holiday, I'm stoked for because the Metal Gear collections to date have been sporadic. Um, and it's impossible still uh, at this point in time to get one console and play all the Metal Gears on them. And that's a bummer. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm excited for that. Uh, I don't think anybody could, in their right mind can ignore the uptick in quality for Alan Wake. And I'm really mm-hmm. excited for what Alan Wake can do. Um, After Control, I was really... Because I never played Alan Wake. And so Chris bought Alan Wake's remaster and I played through it for the first time. And there's clearly some dated aspects of it being a game from 2009, 10, whatever it was. Um but there's something special within that game, even with my little bit of frustrations. And so a new game that's really upping the quality and will bring the same quality of writing that we saw in that. I'm, I'm very excited. I think that's a control show that they have a magic about them. And I love one of my favorite Xbox one exclusives that gets overlooked all the time is quantum break. It's a fantastic game. I love remedy. They're a fantastic developer. Yeah. Um, I sorry, immortals of avium star Wars, uh, Fable, Towerborn, Clockwork Revolution, Starfield. Uh, I was able to see the reason I liked all the showcases, even though they, I think they varied in presentation. Um, Avatar, I should mention that as well. Um, Xbox, PlayStation, Summer Game Fest, Ubisoft all gave me something I wanted to play, and they gave me multiple games I wanted to play. Ubisoft, for its very weird presentation, gave me four games that I was stoked for with Avatar. Uh, Assassin's Creed, Prince of Persia. What's the last one? What's the last one? Avatar, X Prince of Persia. Nope, nope. No, oh my gosh, nope. I can't play. Oh, hold on, hold on. Okay. So you said Avatar, Avatar, Prince of Persia, Prince of Persia Star Wars Outlaws, Star, Star Wars, Wars Outlaws. Yes, I must say Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, because like, why would you think Ubisoft and Star Wars, except that they look like they're making an incredible Star Wars game? So like. Can't wait. I uh, yeah, like what we were. Ubisoft gifted. has really started pushing on uh, Massive a lot. Yeah, and, and I'm a massively good publisher. 
Oh. <laughs> you know, I was never interested in an Avatar game because I think the movie, at least the first one, I didn't want to watch the second one. I hope it's good. But I, I find it to just be like, the, the first movie is one of those movies like when you watch it, you're wowed because of the technical aspects of it. And I think the rest of that movie is just serviceable that you've seen elsewhere. Like it's fine and I enjoyed it and watched it. Uh, but I was really surprised when I saw the gameplay for uh, Frontiers of Pandora that A, it was first person, which I didn't expect coming from Massive huge uptick in my interest because it feels like it may be able to pull off a little bit more of that immersive sim vibe mm-hmm. that like Far Cry 2 and stuff had and I really hope as we've said we don't want to shy away from developers making massive changes to what they've done in the past massive changes yes yeah, I'm gonna keep doing that <laughs> <laughs> But you're one of the first people I've seen, at least in the sphere of people that I kind of follow. And that's a very small bubble on Twitter because I don't like to follow a bunch of people who are buttheads. And one of my favorite things about you, Luke, is I find that every time that you post something, whether I agree with it or not, it's level-headed. And I think it's coming from a sincere place. And I really appreciate that. Uh, A while back, I actually remember I messaged you because I remember at the time I kept seeing probably some of the craziest shit I'd seen on Twitter. And I was thinking, <laughs> these people are unhinged. And then every time I would see like you and Ains and like just a handful of people, I'm like, these are people that regardless of whether I agree with what they're saying, it's obvious that they are thinking it through and they have an opinion. And I just happen to feel a little differently about it. And there's a huge appreciation definitely when you're dealing with people who are like us where I've always said that like we're uh, from day one before Chris was ever even the show when it was me and Saul. We're a gaming podcast that views the the industry through the lens of being people who prefer PlayStation. We play all of them. I mean, I I hardly play my Switch. I play my Xbox some, but the reality is there's something across everything that I'm really interested in. So I really like seeing people who are on either the Nintendo side or on the PlayStation side like Joe uh, and on the Xbox side like you and people who are just approaching it from like, yeah, we have a clear preference, but this is what is a reasonable viewpoint of what people are doing well, what people are doing poorly and how you can kind of do that. So much appreciated for making my Twitter feed a little bit better. (laughs) Thank you. Mine was pretty bad for a while. (laughs) I had to stop it because there was a part of me, it was like before the the consoles, the showcases. I was like, I hope Xbox blows it because these guys are pissing me off. I'm like, that sucks. (laughs) So I just got rid of all of them. Yeah, I don't ever want to be that person. We all play video games. Right, happen to play on consoles. We're enthusiasts in our ecosystems. Like, Mm -hmm. that's the... That's that's the point, right? Like, and like, I will I will shout out the XCP community for being very similar, right? Like, we cultivate the people that we that we want to surround. We surround ourselves with people that we want to be with, and we cultivate our communities. And um, I love the Trophy Room community. I love this community. I love XCPs and Bitcast over at Season Gaming. Like, we nobody should be angry because somebody has a different box. Like, ninety <laughs> percent of the games can be played cross-platform like come on man well speaking of angry people i was going to note that you're one of the only people i've seen that has um shown interest in the new prince of persia which i think outside of an art style that i wish was a little more distinct that's about the only complaint i have for it i think the new prince of persia looks incredible from a gameplay standpoint the history of the series and i've seen what has become obvious to me of uh, the age of gamers sometimes or just the history of what they have and haven't seen. I've seen people say that this doesn't feel like Prince of Persia. And I'm like, have you never seen the original Prince of Persia games? Like this yeah. is obvious. This is honestly more Prince of Persia 
than like the Sands of Time. And I love the Sands of Time. And I love 2008 Prince of Persia. It's an IP that I have a lot of fond memories of. Um, but I think this looks really cool. I think this looks like a great return to form. It's a game I never would have thought I would see Ubisoft develop. And as far as I can tell, they're developing it in-house uh, instead of going off and finding someone to just license the IP to. So this is pretty cool to see. I think it looks great. I I think the art style is what is putting people off because we have come to expect that kind of an art style from mobile games. It's, it's exactly the problem. Yeah, it, it's, it's a little homogenous is the problem. Yeah, and at the end of the day, is it going to be fun? Like we we had a blast with games like like Bori and the Will of the Wisps. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a blast with games like Metroid Dread, uh, and how many other two D platformers are amazing. Um, the team behind this is solid, and I think if we give give them the benefit of the doubt, I think what we everybody that that went hands on with it loved it, and then that's my kicker is people that I trust went hands-on with the people I know personally and, and then just like journalists that I know at a very far distance that I, I kind of like line up with they all came out saying great things so while the remake uh, that they showed and then canceled uh, a few months back while that is, is probably tainting some of the perceptions here um, don't let an art style of a game completely dissuade you just wait see and like nobody's making you buy it right away you know yeah. Ubisoft games go on sale within a month <laughs> yeah, I've never bought a Ubisoft game for more than $27. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, all right. So, Chris, Hi. I think a couple of the games are going to probably mix around too because there's a couple that we didn't talk about within Luke's. But do you have a few games you want to shout out from, uh, from the showcases that just really kind of piqued your interest? Yeah, so I'll go with the obvious in Spider-Man 2. Spider-Man 2 looks awesome. Can't wait. Um, in terms of the Xbox showcase, uh, Clockwork Revolution looks very dope. It looks incredible. I'm a huge exile in exile guy. Yeah, I loved I loved Wasteland Three so much on Game Pass that I bought it on PlayStation. Uh, <laughs> oh, I'm old school, man. I remember playing Bard's Tale on PS2, and I love that. Yeah. game. Yeah, um, I think Avowed looks immaculate, mm. and I, I think that's a lot of credit towards the Outer Worlds, which going theme of this episode I used to hate and now I love. So they have that going for them. Um I think the last one was some of the smaller stuff, you know, Starfield, that tiny game coming out this year. <laughs> but there was um Towerborn nice I watched from the upcoming Bethesda. Cool. Yep. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I'm obviously very excited for City Skylines too. Uh really like that game. Um and then look I can't I can't overstate the excitement that yakuza 8 is coming <laughs> i mean holy shit uh, is this yakuza 8. 9 or is it 8 no oh you're right was 7, 7 was like a dragon that's right yeah yep so obviously yakuza and then they had the jrpg they had the new atlas game which thankfully is coming everywhere persona 3 can't wait um and then you know everything from that sphere very excited for so xbox had a lot of shit for me <laughs> it was really cool yeah i think xbox had a lot of cool stuff because it, it is the thing South where i Midnight. feel like mm. i don't know what mm. that game is but <laughs> i do love a down south skeleton man playing some blues and then a very large monster 
Love it. I love the stop motion animation style. I really hope that that actually makes it into gameplay. Yeah. I'm curious as to how that will feel because it it, it kind of like the game running at 60 frames per second. All your characters would be animating on 30 frames per second. But I could see that being really cool if, if that's where they land. Um, the only problem there is if you play the game at 30 frames per second, then you're dealing with 15. And then what does that look like and feel like? Mm-hmm. But it looks really cool. Um, so, yeah, a um, couple couple of big games within this uh i think clockwork revolution looks really cool i like in exile a lot i'm glad you brought that up uh you know luke you talked about avowed and i feel like even though it maybe presented itself in more of a trailer fashion without uh stuff i really feel like that game gave either it was showing gameplay that they chose to remove the hud on or they just showed cg that clearly indicated the way it needed to play but that looks awesome and some of the ways they've talked about being a little bit more like um, what we saw with the Outer Worlds, where it's like hub-based instead of having one giant open world or an open universe or something like that. I like that idea because I personally don't want every single game that comes out being open world. (laughs) That looks pretty cool. Uh, Two games I really want to shout out, though. First being Don't Nod finally coming back around to making games that aren't just Life is Strange. I like those games. But Banisher's Ghosts of New Eden looks awesome awesome and vampire their last game and remember me one of their games before that that was more combat and gameplay focused both incredible games in my opinion so i'm very excited for that one in particular and remnant 2 i don't know if either of you played remnant from the ashes but incredible fantastic game. game incredible game so very excited for that uh shout out to vr and synapse synapse looks cool uh and that's about where i'm at uh 33 immortals i'd be I'd be beside myself to not mention the fact that Thunder Lotus is back with another game. Uh, That looks pretty cool. But I'm glad that we got these showcases. Much like uh, you, I think every showcase was at least bare minimum good. And that's about all you can really ask. Uh, So let's get this show kind of wrapping up with a couple of questions. Uh, One that we didn't get to. This comes from No Fate, one of our patrons. He says, after Spider-Man 2, do you think we will get a Miles Morales 2? Or what other character would you like to see in a standalone expansion? Chris, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think I would like to see another character get a standalone expansion. Um, I mean, I would say there's two characters that are pretty clear and potentially obvious, which would be, depending on how the game goes, I would love a Spider-Man 2 Eddie Brock <laughs> or a Spider-Man 2 Gwen Stacy. I think one of those two things seems... Well, now, would it be Eddie Brock? Because didn't they confirm that Venom is not going to be Eddie in this game? For now. I was about to say, there's like... For now. There's like 20 yeah. hours of game that <laughs> to play before we know the answer to that. <laughs> That's a good point. Okay. Uh, Luke, you have any... I mean, clearly, you, you seem like you liked uh, Spider-Man. So is there, a, is there a character you'd like to see, or would you like to see Miles get another shot? Um... I think whatever's natural within there. I mean, my, it's not that I think Miles needs a standalone story. I think they can do more with Miles. Um, but what I'm hoping is that after Spider-Man 2, there's a break in Spider characters, and we <laughs> see that same universe fleshed out. Like, maybe, it, like obviously, we're going Wolverine next. Um, mm-hmm. Are they blended? Are they not? Um, I... I don't think this actually answers the question, but every time I think about Marvel characters that need more time, I think Iron Man and I think Black Panther. And we're getting an Iron Man game, and I'd and love Black to see a Black Panther, Panther game. Um, we are. That's what Amy Hennig's doing with Skydance. Uh, uh, but I thought that was a 
like it's a like that buddy. ensemble game with yeah ca- like was... 50s cap and right um black panther i think one other hero yeah so i guess i mean primarily black panther but okay, but you're right enough. it's an ensemble game and um also real talk like 50s cap i don't want 50s cap <laughs> <laughs> nobody wants 50s cap like amy come on but <laughs> but like will i be upset and not play it no i'm gonna play it day Absolutely. one come on <laughs> so yeah. Uh, yeah, that's good. I mean, I think that's still an answer. I, as far as actual Spidey characters, I'm kind of with you that I would like. I'm I'm down to see any of them get expansions, but I would actually kind of like to see. It's hard to say with Insomniac because they have such a good release schedule that the normal excuse I would give is the worry that they're going to spend too much time on one IP. But mm-hmm. so far, that's not really bad. Like that's not padded out because we got Spider-Man and then Ratchet and we're about to get Wolverine, you know, within not too long. So if they can keep a pretty good development pace, I wouldn't mind seeing the obvious Spider-Gwen answer mainly because I want, I mean, I would actually really like to see, and I don't know how they would introduce this. It depends on what happens within Spider-Man too. I would like to see another stab at the Spider-Man 2099 world. I would love to see Nueva York in game and kind of do what edge of time was trying to do on a bigger scale. I think that'd be interesting. I think now that we've talked, I've changed my answer kind of, because I'd like to see the other stuff I said, but the coolest (laughs) thing would be to, like Luke was saying, completely go away from the spiders and have, you know, give me a prologue of Craven. Give me that M rated him hunting things. Let me do that. That would be very cool. I thought you were going to go like way off the bat, like the the murder of Sonic the Hedgehog thing, where it's going to be like, I want to play as J. Jonah Jameson and go out and get on the beat. and find the I would be super down for a detective based <laughs> J. Jonah Jameson, like Wolf Among Us type thing. That would be kind of cool. More than anything, Spider fans, we deserve we deserve a collection of those old Beamnox Activision games that are Facts. locked behind licensing. Licensing, dude, like, I would kill for Edge all. of Time and Web uh, of Shadows, Shadow Dimensions and Web Shadow of Shadows. Dude, oh my god, fantastic! Bring them all. Playing like, it right now. Go. It's great. I have the joke I play. I, I said on XEP. If any there is any crossover, um, I now have a copy. I'm a proud owner of Spider Man Two. And I put it over there, unfortunately. Um, I have one of the very few physical copies of Amazing Spider-Man 2 for Xbox One. Because they wow. took it away, they stopped making them, and it's off digital. So I'm uh-huh. one of the very few people that can play a Spider-Man game on his Xbox right now. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I had that game physically for PlayStation 4 and uh, sold it after I was done. It's a, it's a, it's a completely it's okay. fine game. It, right. yeah. Amazing Spider-Man 1 was better, but I just yeah. recently played that on Vita again and had a great nice. time with it. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, nice. All right, we got one more question here before we go off into the ever so sexy Velvet's corner. So, uh Jehudi MD, another patron. He says with the hype that Starfield has generated with that awesome showcase and news of Todd Howard's last game being The Elder Scrolls 6, what is your favorite Todd Howard game so far? Personally, while Fallout 3 was my top choice, Skyrim inched its way past that. My first exposure to open-world RPGs or Western RPGs was Fallout 3, and it was an eye-opener how exploration in the game can be taken to the next level. So, Luke, I'm going to give that honor to you to answer first. Do you have a favorite Bethesda Todd Howard game, or do you really worry about not a, it? Not a favorite Todd Howard game. No. Mm, interesting. Nah. I, I I go back and forth on what Chris's is. I'm curious. I, I feel like I might know it, and then I also feel simultaneously like I'm gonna be way wrong. So, Chris, why don't you just tell me? <laughs> uh, Fallout Three. Okay, I was right. That's good yeah. to know. 
Yeah. I mean, Fallout 3 goes back and forth with Persona 5 every day, every day. So it's that's pretty good. It's up there. I'm gonna be uh, I'm gonna be the weird one out, and I think a lot of nostalgia's fueled into this. Uh, I, I, I adore Morrowind, and that uh, was Todd Howard's first game as uh, well. No, I think his first directorial game was Redfall, uh, or not Red. Hold on, Red Daggerfall, <laughs> whatever. No, the the pirate game. Oh, <laughs> within gotcha. the Elder Scrolls. Um, yeah, so that's one of my. But I also really love Oblivion. I love Skyrim, but I don't know Skyrim is. As far as an RPG goes, Skyrim makes a lot of weird choices. I think it's a great game, but I don't really love it as an RPG. It's great as exploration. I'll give it that. Um, all right. There's kind of a second question bitten in there. It says, with Obsidian moving away from the open world format and sticking to what seems like a hub world format, do you have a preference? So, Chris, are you more of a Outer Worlds uh, kind of guy, or do you think that you'd rather go the Starfield route, or do you think that remains to be seen? Depends on the game. Um I think Fallout Three is made worse with if it was a, uh, you know, you could only go to Tranquility Avenue and Rivet City and the monuments, like that would be mm. a worse game. But the Outer Worlds, I think, would also be a worse game if I had to navigate the to open every world of, single thing the, exactly. So yeah. it just depends on the game, you know. I think Starfield wouldn't do itself any favors being a more linear hub type game. Although, I guess, realistically, Starfield's a hub game. Just the hubs are planets. <laughs> <laughs> That's one way to look at it. I'm, I'm going with that. I'll take the hubs. I'll take... I don't know. Depends on the game. There's no set answer for this one. Okay. Luke, do you have a preference? No. And this this goes outside <laughs> of RPGs, because you know there's a good example of like uh, Sly Cooper and Two mm-hmm. Through Thieves in Time is a hub-based series and you go through a series of hubs i mean i've always really liked that approach uh, okay. I, I think i agree with you chris it's it's hard to say it, it's a it's such a game on game basis and i think what it comes down to as long as the game is developed with what it's going to do in mind you will always think it would be worse if it went the opposite direction yeah absolutely. I, th- I think that's just how it's going to be it's so tied to how you play uh, i like the mix just because i don't want every game be an open world <laughs> That's mm-hmm. really what it comes down to. I mean, um, Witcher Three could do for not being open world, but that's okay. <laughs> I would be curious, though. It's funny that everybody loved that game because of its open world. So you never know. I, there's a part of me that thinks Red Dead Two is a better game if no, you just let it literally no, be no. nothing but the stories. Nah. But I also know that there are people that are like, absolutely not. Nah. <laughs> but I could see a world where maybe Luke made it through Red Dead Two if it was just the missions, but maybe not. It's all, yeah, that's the idea of a mission being more accessible does help in games like that. But you know, it's all about to me the aesthetic. Like, am I into this game and the world that they've created? Then I'm gonna. It's not gonna matter to me whether it's hub based or not. That's a good point. Thanks. All right. Well, it's time to inundate you, good sir Luke, with our final segment of every episode, and it's where we get a pretty out there, wild, outlandish question from one Velvet Thunder, one of our patrons and listeners. And uh, we have a, a very sexy theme song, so hold on to your panties and prepare to enter. Velvet Corner. Mm. Oh, it there stopped. We go. I was really into that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it needs another yeah, no. beat. <laughs> it does. It does. Chris told me I've got to go back to the drawing board and, and add a little more into it. So I, I haven't had time. Been on vacation. 
I will make that dream a reality, Chris. I hey, will Brett, do it for you and what Absolute. Do, what does Across the Spider-Verse and the Velvet Thunders intro have in common? They just <laughs> end. Hmm. <laughs> uh, I see what you're doing. Nice. Um, all right. Really good. So, I see the Halo 2 over your, over your head right there. Oh, isn't it beautiful? Yeah. Anyway, what's the um, so the question this week, if there was a bare fist fight competition between Jim Ryan, Phil Spencer, Reggie, Kojima, Corey Barlog, and Todd Howard, who would be the winner? Who would be the first one eliminated? And what would each contender's signature move be? These this are ridiculously easy. fun questions, but I love it. And I have an immediate answer for Reggie. So Reggie's signature move, as far as I'm concerned, would be called the the nutchuck. And he would use a Wii controller with a nunchuck connected, and he would hold the nunchuck, and he would swing the Wii controller and hit you in the nuts. Okay. I take it. I think right. so. for me, it would be more of like a special move. And I feel like this is very obvious. This is not breaking the mold. But it's like a full body slam, and he just yells, my body is ready right before he does it in like a Street Fighter pose, and then just, just splat. I would have so much problems not having him say my body is Reggie. <laughs> it would just be impossible for me to keep myself from doing. But I That's like, like that. the toasty one. thing in Mortal Kombat. It's like one every <laughs> hundred thousand lines. He says that. He'll, it, <laughs> <laughs> That'd be pretty good. All right. So we got to figure this out. So I'm going to give you, Luke, the honor of figuring out Phil Spencer. No one has got to know Phil Spencer better than our signature Xbox person on this episode. So what do you think Phil Spencer's signature move would be? Uh, Phil Spencer's signature move, straight up, uh, he's getting second place in this bare fist fight, uh, by the way. But he walks out (laughs) and he full on WWE uh, 2000s. He stone cold stunners every single person in that list. (laughs) kick to the groin, turns, drops him down. And, and then whenever he does, uh, you're not sure whether he's going to say Game Pass, xCloud, <laughs> or whatever. It's, just, just it's going to be rotating lines. Right. World yeah, yeah, exclusive premiere. That's right. That's right. Um, so every time he's just stone cold stunner to everybody, everybody out there. All right. He stone cold stunner. He goes, more games, more places. <laughs> <laughs> more places where you want to play. You know, it's, it's like his Mortal Kombat finishing line is he walks over, looks right into the camera, and he goes, When we all play, you lose. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. Reggie wins this this fight, by the way, but he does it via choke slam, like Undertaker, mm. full on tombstone, uh, pile driver, uh, whatever he wants, but, but he does the full on choke slams. Um, See, and, and Jim Howard, Jim, sorry, Jim Ryan, uh, Jim he's out first. <laughs> He's uh, out yeah. first. Man can't he even can't even controller. He can't even find his way to the ring. Um, yeah, and I feel like Corey Barlog and Todd Howard would be in the corner, like holding hands, looking each other's eyes, He'd be like, "No, you're a great developer. No, you're a great developer." <laughs> the, yeah, I had a, an entirely. I remember the first time I saw the the game name when we were doing this show years ago. Um, there's a game called Way of the Passive Fist. Mm-hmm. 
And I remember that I heard the name and I had my own idea for what I hoped the game would be and it's not it at all. And I thought it would be so funny to have a game where it's just a bunch of historical characters that are known for being pacifists. And so you fight with them, but all their fight moves never connect and hit each other. It's just mm-hmm. like you see them do a move and like they throw out like words and the words go to the enemy and they, they can block them. So like, you know, you'd have Martin Luther King be like, I have a dream. And he'd just like fly out of his like palms and you just see it fly over and hit you know, Gandhi or whatever. Mm-hmm. And Gandhi would be like, the path of violence. And you know, it'd be great. I think it'd be really fun. Mm-hmm. I would love to make that game and I have almost no clue how to do it. So, but <laughs> I, I love to think that that is exactly what would be happening with Corey Barlog and Todd Howard, but it would be compliments. So it would just be them like throwing compliments out of their hands. And as it hit the other one, it would be like tickling their cheek and they'd be like, ah. <laughs> Your writing is amazing. No, yours is. I love your one cut, one shot camera. I love your on world persistence. It's amazing. <laughs> I think my only point is I think there would be like I think Phil Spencer has like a really difficult to pull off combo. But what he does is when he pulls off the combo, he just grabs one of the other fighters and goes, Welcome to the family. And then he joins them and then they fight together until <laughs> he's got all of them. <laughs> Sarah Bond pops out of the ceiling. She's like, I'm with you too. (laughs) (laughs) See, the the part of me that wants to joke about the Xbox nature of things has to say that I want there to at least be some Phil Spencer move where it's him saying next year, next year. (laughs) (laughs) As he's backing away. I think a good one. He goes to do his fight and like you see him like do his move and then halfway through it, he's like, not this year, but next year will be an incredible year for Xbox. <laughs> and he just stops in the way. Jade Raymond comes halfway down the uh, the runway and then gets canceled right in the middle and has to go back. <laughs> are, are we going to do, are we going to have like the Mortal Kombat 1 cameo fighters to where they can come? <laughs> it's Hideo Kojima's cameo fighters, just some random eccentric actor or editor director you've never heard of. Yeah. I like to think it's his Joaquin character from the Metagross Solid 5 <laughs> the, the, with the burnt face. So That'd we haven't talked about Kojima's signature move and I think I have, a, I have a suggestion. We'll see how you guys feel about it. I think it would be the Roos Cruise and it would be that he's like almost like a magician. He goes to do something and you think it's going to be one thing and then it ends up being something else every single time. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's, that's a shout out from my boy Saul because for the entire time of Death Stranding, he he hung on to that little bit of hope. It wasn't realistic, but that somehow, some way, Death Stranding was going to end up being PT <laughs> back again. And he was like, "It's just it's a it's the longest Rouge cruise you've ever seen from him." So he would always use the Rouge cruise. So I, I think like that it. we got to bring that back, uh, the, the Kojima Rouge cruise. All right. So is there anybody we haven't figured out here? Todd Howard's would be him hitting people and just saying it just works. I, I like think that, that makes one. sense. Uh, what would Corey Barlog be? Something about how flies it, off it doesn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> I would love for Todd Howard's character to be incredibly buggy. Like you yeah. go to hit him and it just, the collision doesn't work and he takes no damage. <laughs> <laughs> like you just see it clip through his fist and you're like, damn it. <laughs> Every time someone's about to hit Todd, he rolls a pair of dice and he's like, ah, didn't hit. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, there you go, Velvet. I hope that we have wrapped up what is now Luke's first and maybe final, but we'll see. You never know. Maybe we'll have Luke back. But this has been Bill.
Elephant's Corner. And we'll be uh-huh. back next week to edge you with that theme song a little bit more. Brett, please finish. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. This has been Triangle Square and a PlayStation Podcast. Thank you, Luke, for joining us. If you would like to, one more time, plug everybody. Tell them where they can find you and where they can continue listening to you and your lovely co-host. Absolutely. So, again, my name's Luke Lore. I would love it. Uh, if you guys would take a moment and seek out the Xbox expansion pass on your podcast services or YouTube uh, and throw it a like or a subscribe and check it out. Uh, we do some great interviews over there. And in general, it is a uh, positive gaming place uh, where we just support games and gamers. So that's our, that's our jam. So there we yeah. go. Mm-hmm. All right, Chris, thank you for joining me as always. It's nice to see you back in your basement. Uh, <laughs> that sounds way worse leaving my mouth than whatever I intended it to be. But yeah, it's nice to see you back in your uh, your usual stomping grounds. Uh-huh. But we will be back next week. One thing I want to give Luke a chance to do, as we always do any of our guests, uh, the community's take, of course, as we mentioned, is where we give the community a chance to kind of give feedback onto a question, either based off of something we talked about this episode or just a general question that you find interesting. Luke, with you being the guest, would you like to propose a community state question for our listeners, or would you like me to handle it? Uh, it it's a question about gaming. Yeah, it could be a question. Anything gamer related? Anything gamer related? Um, let me think here. Uh, which kind? Con- which controller is your favorite? The the Dual Sense. Uh, controller with its haptic feedback or uh, a more traditional elite style controller for Xbox and why mm. yeah that's a pretty good one yeah is that mm, good okay is that too well, generic you know I'm so proud of you because unlike Joe you didn't you didn't you know wuss out at the final minute and he's say, ugly not too smart <laughs> you know like honestly uh, best thing about Joe is his mom he introduced he, uh, we met uh, because of him and so she's the love of my life mm. I'm so proud to see you guys as really you know <laughs> The, the relationship that y'all flourished into is just so beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Joe's mom's a piece. Good on you, Luke. <laughs> All right, guys. This has been Triangle Squared. As a final shout out, we love to shout out our patrons, everyone who makes this show possible. Uh, if you would like to join them, head over to patreon.com slash nartech and consider giving as little as a dollar per month. It helps keep the show afloat without us having to dig into our pockets, which is more help than you could possibly imagine. Uh, so for all of you who have done so for a long time and some of you who are a little bit newer, we'd like to finish the show by shouting out Spencer, Brandon Edwards, Alex, Barry Rogers, It's a Sin to Win, Sean Easton, Aztec King, Legion 69, The Lord Corgi, Hammedegger, Bailey Robertson, Mark Schutz, Cypher Primus, Kyle Grimm, Rude Days 93, Kevin Bacon Bits, Danny Villalobos, Jehudi MD, No Fate, Josh Ayers, Derek Porter, Donovan Williams, Matthew Green, and Sean Sanderud. Thanks to each and every one of you. See you next week.